to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the responsive Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Hi, Shag! <laughs> Goodness gracious, what was that? said responsive, so I'm trying to... <laughs> that's true, that's true. Well, what I was going for was a veiled hint of what this episode's about, folks. Oh, I see. We should really prepare before we... Record. Someone should, at least. Anyway, so this episode is one of our listener feedback episodes. We, we, we do monthly feedback, by the way, because we get flack sometimes for not doing feedback enough. But we do monthly feedback on every Who's Who episode. Who and gives every us one- grief about not doing feedback often? Shh, we'll talk later. It's mostly directed at you. It's private messages they send me. I, I, I didn't want to. Yeah, anyway. Bailey does it every five years. I mean, what do we <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> You know, you and I recorded an episode four months ago. It just came out last week. Anyway, uh, <laughs> actually, it's a, it's, you guys go check it out. It's over on Views from the Long Box, okay? And it's about the DC Cosmic Cards, the first trading card set by DC. And we had an absolute blast recording it. It's almost It almost feels like a who's who show, really, uh, except one, Rob's not there, which makes it better. And two, it just goes a lot faster because it's about trading cards. But I'm really proud of that episode. So check that out over on Views from the Long Box. So. <laughs> and has everyone actually read the descriptions on the cards? I did for yes. the, for, in preparation. So. <laughs> so it really is not like having me on the show. It is like <laughs> – it's exactly right. So anyway, so um, – this episode is we're covering listener feedback, and we're also on the back end. We have one of my world tour segments where I sat down and visited with Chris Franklin of the Supermates podcast. Yay. We had a great chat, and again, it was, we, it was great because Rob wasn't there. So, uh, all right, all right. Let's to be specific about this feedback episode, by the way, today we're going to tackle feedback that we got on the blogs and in emails. Because when I started putting all this stuff together, <laughs> I realized the quantity I was up against. Because this does go back to episodes that go back um, all the way back to April. 
What I was trying to say before I interrupted myself was, yes, we do monthly feedback on Who's Who, and we do monthly feedback on the review episodes. So it's not like it's all the feedback for the last several months, but it's quite a bit, in fact, to the point where just the feedback from the blogs and the emails is 50 pages in a Google document. I kid you not. And that's only an 11-point font, single-spaced. Oof, it's a lot. So, but that's all in your future because right now what we're going to do is we are going to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire & Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? A friend of mine at work today uh, brought up Frank Frazetta, and we started talking about Frank Frazetta. I don't even remember how we got to it. So I decided, hey, what, what, what does InStock Trades have with Frank Frazetta? So they have a bunch of stuff, and one of the books that caught my eye was called The Comics Journal Library Tree Paperback Volume 8, EC Artists. And this is just a collection of interviews, long-form interviews that Comics Journal like to do, with various EC artists. And in this case, Will Elder, William M. Gaines, Al Feldstein, Johnny Craig, the aforementioned Frank Frazetta, Joe Kubert, Harvey Kurtzman, George Evans, Al Jaffe, and John Severance. 240. Jeez. Yeah, it's amazing. And the cover is great. It's got a little inset panels by all those artists. Uh, 240 pages, color and black and white. Normal price $28.99. In stock trades price $20.29. That's 30% off. If any of you have ever read a comics journal interview, other than the uh, hatred for all things superheroes, uh, one of the hallmarks of the comics journal is they really did do great interviews. I mean, they would get somebody interesting and talk to them for like 30 pages. So it's, you know, none of the, it wasn't like a little uh, promotional thing. It was like a real, you know, they would do real long form and interviews and get in depth with people and if it was somebody really interesting i would love that i loved reading you know that long long piece about about somebody's career and their life and stuff so this is a whole book of ec related people sounds really cool so i said the ec artists twenty dollars and 29 cents very cool that sounds really fascinating yep. um Wow. So uh, my selection is a little more <laughs> uh, – it's going to cause a little bit of split or rift amongst our reader, our listeners. Uh, I'm going to pick Spider-Man Spider Island trade paperback. This is a, a recent Dan Slot piece, which people are extremely divisive on, And if I'm using the right word correctly. And it's uh, – I'm reading it currently, and I'm having a blast with it. It's, it's sort of like a big, dumb action movie. For, you know, like your summer blockbuster, I'm not looking for any depth. I'm just looking for fun. The gist of it is, you know, Spider-Man's always fighting this guy named the Jackal. I remember during the Clone Saga, he fought the Jackal all the time. Well, apparently the Jackal has genetically engineered a bunch of bed bugs and turned them loose in New York City. And all these bed bugs, whenever they bite somebody, that person gains Spider-Man-like powers. So all of New York City is full of people with Spider-Man's powers, which makes him not unique anymore, but none of them really have his sense of responsibility either. At least not most of them don't. And so it's, there's just people running rampant, and then somebody throws in a bunch of Spider-Man costumes. So there's all these crazy people running around in different Spider-Man costumes. It's a hoot. I'm having a blast with it. Again, Dan Slott writes it. Um, most of the art is done by Humberto Ramos, who, let me tell you, there's very few people that can draw women as sexy as him. Uh, I love his artwork. It's very dynamic, very action-oriented. It's an absolute blast. This collects uh, the Amazing Spider-Man issues that it came from. It's also got some pieces from some of the other stories where it's spin off, like Venom and some of the individual storylines, whatever. But anyway, 376 pages, and you get it for uh, – I'm sorry. normally goes for $34.99. You can get it right now for 45% off, so you can get it for $19.24. Again, 376 pages, and it's lots of fun. Now, if you're a Spider-Man purist, you're probably hating every word that I've uttered in the last couple minutes. But if you just want to read a big, fun action story, this is it, man. Check it out. It's a, fu- it's a blast. 
So again, our thanks to InStock Trades. Uh, head on over to them for all of your trade paperback needs. InStockTrades.com. Now, as we mentioned, we're going to do a bunch of feedback, but we do need to address uh, some sad news. The Fire and Water podcast uh, listening community, the, the nuclear subs, uh, unfortunately, yesterday, Rob and I found out, or actually, uh, more, for me this morning, really, um, found out that we lost one of our own folks, uh, David Sopko, who has been a, a regular listener for a number of years. He's been a regular commenter. He's been very involved. He's been a big part of our family. He passed away. Um, I am blanking on the infection, what the virus was that he had, but it was a, it was a very short battle. He was in the hospital fighting for his life for a couple of weeks, and unfortunately, he um, succumbed to the disease. So our hearts go out to him. Our hearts go out to his family. Uh, I'm trying not to be too sappy in this because David was a fun guy. David was very upbeat and liked to – he loved to pick on me, man, and liked to have a good time. So I'm trying to keep the spirit of the show up. Sort of a, you know, because I think that's what David would have wanted. Uh, I have a long history with David. I, I worked with him actually. He was one of the founding members of the Ultraverse Network, also one of the founding members of the Legion of Superbloggers. He, he just launched a Blue Devil podcast with our buddy Justin Barlow called Shadow the Devil. So he, he's been a part of our podcasting community. He's been part of this family for a while now. And um, he's left behind a wife and two small children and who are in our thoughts right now. And uh, our hearts just go out to them. And if you can, please just keep David Sopko's family in your, in your thoughts. Okay. With that, I think we're going to go right into the feedback. What do you say, Rob? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So uh, this is going to go back, as I said, all the way back to April. So we're covering episodes 124 through 144. <laughs> My <laughs> Lord. I know. And uh, I've sort of like grouped everything. So it's not necessarily episode by episode or individual by individual. I've sort of grouped everything by <laughs> stuff we talked about. The feedback is grouped by year. Right. <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, the, the show that surprised me the most for the feedback is this first one we're going to tackle. Uh, a while back, we did an episode on sci-fi television from the 1970s and 1980s. Gene Hendricks joined us on the show. We had a great time just going through an IMDb list. It was it, We thought it was a train wreck, honestly, because it was just us reading off a bunch of shows being like, I never heard of that one. Don't know that one. And we had a good time doing it, but it just was like, no one's going to like this. I think that episode got more feedback than any other show in like the last two years. It's, it's amazing. So uh, start us off, Jeff Nuttleton, who's recently appeared in the Secret Origins podcast. He says, I enjoy the show, but you need some older blood for the 70s. Okay. Uh, I thought I was old enough, but fine. Uh, I, uh, and he also says, Quark was a U.S. comedy series from Buck Henry, who created Get Smart. I did not know that. I love Buck Henry. He's always my favorite Saturday Night Live host, so... I'm sorry I didn't know that at the time we recorded the show. And I'm sorry I've never seen Quark. Like I said, I dig Buck Henry. He's really funny. I like Get Smart. Yeah, I like Get Smart. Everything Buck Henry has like been involved with, practically. He wrote The Graduate. I mean, he's great. He's just one of the great like, satirists. and he's fantastic. Uh, he also mentions, I can't believe you guys left out The Man from Atlantis with Patrick Duffy. That started well as a series of specials, but the series floundered, no pun intended. Victor Bono... <laughs> Victor Bono was great as Dr. Schubert, the only recurring villain. Um, now, first of all, I, there's a bunch of these comments that are like, I can't believe you guys left out this. can't believe you guys left out that. It was a list that we were going through. You know what I mean? And I just don't think any of us knew enough to like think, oh, this show's not included. We should add it. Plus, the list was already so friggin' long. Man from Atlantis, oddly enough, I never watched that as a kid. And you would think with my Aquaman obsession, I would have. But I just I just didn't. I never watched it. And I didn't read the Marvel comics. So for whatever reason, that's just it just flew under my radar. So that's why we didn't cover it. So you haven't read the, the Marvel comic if it is an adult? 
No, I don't. No, I never went back to. I mean, it's you know like a seventies thing. I, I, I'm kind of interested in a fun. You know what? What? It, I love seventies Marvel, so it probably would be fun to go back and find them. Uh, but uh, well, maybe I've maybe I've saw them in a quarter bin or something. But well, the reason I'm asking is I actually found number one in a quarter bin. Uh, and well bought done. It. I bought it like I don't know a couple years ago, and it's been sitting in a stack to send to uh, you, like everything and- else. <laughs> so now that I know you haven't read it, I'll make sure I get that to you. Yeah, please, please so. do. I'll give you my address. <laughs> what do you put on the internet for everyone to find? Um, we heard from our buddy Zoom Yukinori, uh, who over at CBR, he does the line it is drawn. He said, "Shag, I, no, I talked about the Voyagers with a lot of passion during that episode, and you and Gene were like, huh? I don't know what you're talking about." Which astounded me, and you guys were like, Shag, you're out of your gourd. However, the amount of support and discussion about Voyagers that happened in the comments uh, supported me and proved I was right. So he goes, I remember watching Voyagers while overseas. One episode I remember vividly involved Bog and Jeffrey getting separated in time with Bog helping Lawrence of Arabia while Jeffrey met Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison took apart the Omni, which was their time travel device, trying to figure out how the flashing red light worked because he was the inventor struggling to perfect his light bulb. Seeing the Omni disassembled on the workshop was a true oh no moment. So that makes me feel good that I'm not the only one remembering this stuff. Heard from Matthew McKinney Gray. This is a great episode, but Rob called Lost Star British. It's actually a Canadian production. Star Lost, not not Lost Star. I'm sorry, Star Lost. Yes, I was thinking of the Star Wars book, Lost Stars. But uh, clearly Rob just didn't know where any of his production companies were. So Count Drunkula said, loved me some Red Dwarf. The wife introduced me to the show. The first episode didn't do much for me, and I thought I wouldn't like the series, but the second episode hooked me and held me for at least the next five seasons. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I like he refers to his his missus as the wife. I'm going to record (laughs) the podcast. Well, that woman's a saint for what she must put up with in that household. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, can you know how many podcasts he puts out? She probably doesn't see him a whole lot. You know, I forgot to mention. Okay, so Count Drunkula, who's actually Ryan Daly, uh, the Secret Origins podcast, the Flowers and Fish Knots podcast, and the Dead Both and Spies podcast. And uh, the man is, uh, is cranking stuff out and ripping us off left and right. Uh, Mark Baker Wright, uh, regarding Star Trek the Animated Series, it bugs me that the show has a, such a bad reputation among some fans. It is wholly undeserved. I agree with that. The Star Trek Animated Show is really fun. It's no goofier than the live-action show, especially in the third season. And I think, is it canon? They consider that canon, the animated show? I forget. I don't know. I mean, it's I, I, it's hard to tell what is Star Trek canon, because some books, like the books, some of them are quote-unquote canon, others don't make any sense whatsoever now i'll tell you like some of the characters from the star trek animated series ended up in some of peter davis novels and right stuff. right so I, I don't know if you can consider it canon or not and I, the whole reason we have a uh Mego star trek toy line is from the animated series that's it was based on that license not the tv show so and i fascinating yeah and i love the Mego dolls i absolutely love that i still have one i still have my gorn doll so uh <laughs> we have that to thank for the animated series just for that the thing I loved about the animated series, I, I, I own it on DVD, by the way. Uh, I think it's the first Star Trek DVD I ever probably bought. But anyway, the music, the filmation, like, you know. Oh, great theme. Incidental music. They had great themes on generally filmation at great themes. Yeah, they did. So having combining that with Star Trek was just like totally boss. By the way, one thing you didn't mention was Mark Baker Wright does a blog called Transforming Seminarian. And that's important for this next bit. Transformers, if you know me or have my or, or follow my online presence at all, you already know that this about this franchise. And I follow it more than any other. Rob, you are dead to me after your dismissive comments. So, <laughs> get in line, buddy. Um, 
It's a long line. So and he comes in about Voyagers. He goes, this was a favorite as a, this was, I'm sorry, this was a favorite as a kid. I made my own Omni out of cardboard and paper, and I would imagine flying through time by jumping off my bunk bed after pressing the button on the Omni, often, thankfully, with the mattress pulled out on the floor. That's so cool! Because <laughs> that's the way they would do it. They would fly through time, and you'd see them like, waving their arms, like flapping through space. Oh, my gosh, that's perfect. Love it. Heard from our buddy Tim Wallace from the Court Industries, the Legion of Superbloggers, and recently appeared on the Film and Water podcast. Yes, he did. He says two words. Me, I can't say this right. Mino Pulse. Pulse. Uh, that's the kid from Voyagers, by the way. That kid guest starred all over the place in the 70s and 80s. When I was watching Voyagers, I always wondered in the back of my young mind if those guest appearances on shows like Love Boat, A-Team, Different Strokes were a result of time hopping with the Omni. <laughs> I love kid retcons. That's so cool. Uh, he says, regarding Planet of the Apes, I didn't actually stumble into the franchise until college and saw the first film playing at a horror sci-fi con and was hooked. I own all the films, the animated series, and the TV show. I even had a chance to meet Booth Coleman, TV's Dr. Zayas, and probably have his autograph photo hanging next to my Mickey Dolans. See what I did there? Ah, uh, I get that. Okay. I, yeah, I agree with – I love all the Planet of the Apes. I like every iteration of the – well, except for the Tim Burton movie. But I, I love all the Planet of the Apes stuff. And once again, we have the Mego line of Apes dolls to thank from the animated uh, and TV series, not from the movies. That's wild that they you – know, the license gets partitioned off in such ways that they can do that. That's, yeah, that's yep. pretty cool. Yep. Uh, he go, Tim goes on to say, oh, I nearly forgot Shag. There was a V action figure. Well, a 12-inch doll. One of my neighbors had it. It had a human face mask that you could peel away – to reveal the lizard face underneath. And with that, Rob, I now end the show. I have to go. I have to go pick this up and find a, find one of these immediately. Yeah, that does sound really cool. I'm going to get that, yeah. Uh, Earth 2 Chris wrote in, and uh, he wrote a bunch of stuff, but I'm just gonna, my favorite comment is, what, no manimal? <laughs> By the way, that's Earth 2 Chris from Supermates Podcast, yes. the Power Records Podcast, and he'll be appearing later in this episode. So hang around for him. Our buddy Jeff R., who Jeff R. is well known for on our Who's Who podcast, he always gives us our egregious omission every month, which we really appreciate. And in this regard, he says, as the omissions guy, I'll complain mightily about the IMDb list maker leaving Star Blazers off. And uh, he also called it the St- Space Battle Yamato off the list. And he made an interesting comparison because had, I had said that as a kid, I felt like there were two camps, the Twilight Zone camp and the Amazing Stories camp. And I felt like you could be a fan of one but the, not the other, like you had to choose or something. And he said he felt the same way actually about people were only allowed to like either Star Blazers or Robotech. I thought that's pretty funny. Hmm. Heard from our buddy Michael Kiriskiro who uh, runs the non-existent Batman and the Outsiders blog. He says, Shag, I'm with you on the Voyagers. I absolutely love that show as a kid and I'm surprised Rob and Gene have never heard of it. So – on you guys. Okay. That, that was my little addition. I, I understand. Uh, he said, love the discussion of the Springsteen, New Jersey sublaw. I agree with you 100%, Rob. Bon Jovi is horrible. Bruce is magnificent. Thank you, Michael. Gosh. Yes. I, you're going to get arrested. I'm telling I'm not. You. I'm t- I live here. Trust me. I know. <sighs> okay. Well, Zoom followed that up. Um, we, we were talking about Voyagers, and there's a lot of discussion about how the lead actor died. He died filming a show, and there was some question about whether it was Voyagers or whatever. But he, uh, John Eric Hexham. He was the lead actor in Voyagers, and he was filming a show called Cover Up. Um, now, this is after Voyagers was over. So this was not while the Voyagers series was still in the air. In fact, Voyagers had been canceled. Anyway, in between takes of shooting a scene on, on the spy program, he was playing with a prop gun. It's a little unsure whether he was doing Russian roulette or just goofing around with a gun. Anyway, he knew it had a blank cartridge in it. He put it to his temple, pulled the trigger, the blank cartridge fired. 
think he, he's, you know, obviously he thought the blank cartridge wouldn't hurt him, but in fact, uh, he was hospitalized and then died six days later. I remember that. I remember that when that happened. It's just yeah. crazy. And it was. And he's, honestly, he's a pretty cool actor. He may have had, you know, I don't know if he would have been a, a big A-list celebrity, but he could have had a long career as, you know, like the hot muscle-bound guy in, you know, the 80s in, in TV shows. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Don't, don't play with guns, everybody. Just there don't play go. with guns. Ange from Supergirl Blog, comic books, comic box commentary, and various uh, guest appearances on uh, Secret Origins and uh, the Fire and Water podcast. Oh, not Fire, Film and Water. He was on. Fil- Wait, no, he was on Firewater. I'm Firewater. So confused. Yeah, he's going to do a Film and Water and at some point. Legion of Super Bloggers. Legion of Super Bloggers. Uh, regarding Space Nuts, like Rob, I have said, I said launch, not launch, my whole life with no one understanding what I mean. To hear that another human has the line in their lexicon made me happy. <laughs> That's two. <laughs> On a planet of seven billion. Well done, gentlemen. Uh, Buck Rogers. Ah, Aaron Gray, one of my most lasting boyhood crushes, lasting to this day. How much did I love Aaron Gray? I watched Silver Spoons. But seeing her as Wilma Deering in her flight suit and blowing up aliens been priceless. Uh, you and me both, Ange, and uh, as you said, to this day, very much so. Uh, when I see her conventions, my heart goes a pitter-patter. He goes on to say, V, I can't think of a TV moment more burned into my brain than Jane Badler unhinging her jaw and eating a guinea pig. <laughs> as a kid, I was horrified and entranced. I love that show. And Freddy Krueger was Willie the Nice Alien. <laughs> I actually owned the V and V the Final Battle on DVD. I probably watched at least the first V, probably about once a year. It's that good. It really is. Misfits of Science. Oh, I love this show. I love Ange so much now. And he goes, another childhood crush, the Dancing in the Dark era Courtney Cox. But my favorite recurring bit in the show was the electricity guy occasionally had to discharge if he absorbed too much energy. And he talked about like he needed it. To, I'm sorry. And he talked about it like he needed to pee. So one episode, he's dancing around saying he had to go. He had to go. And they told him to go head into the alley. <laughs> so you talk about Courtney Cox. It goes right back to Bruce Springsteen. That's true. Uh, yeah. That's true. Uh, we got a message from Kyle Benning of King Size Comic Giants Fights Fun. He's also on Legion of Super Bloggers, and of course, he's been on our show. Rob, you mentioned Wolfman Jack and American Graffiti. For those of you that are fans of that movie, do yourself a favor and track down a DVD version that has the movie dubbed in French. If you go to the Wolfman Jack scenes, they literally went in to change the wolf howling sounds every time Wolfman Jack comes on the radio. Instead of actual wolf howl sound, they replaced it with a le woo. I uh, shit you not, they seriously took out the howl and put in a French le woo. That is hysterical. That is hysterical. By the way, i got to backtrack a little bit on the Courtney Cox. The whole time I was reading that, I was trying to remember something. I'm like, where did I see Courtney Cox recently? I actually put on the Masters of the Universe Oh, that's right. She on Netflix that, yeah. the other night and tried to convince my 16-year-old to watch it with me based solely on the hotness of Courtney Cox. And um, he stayed around for a few minutes, but after a while, he got pretty bored pretty quick, so we cut it off. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, you know, something on, by the way, I started to say at the top of the show, and I should have finished saying. So this is all the blog comments and all the emails and stuff. This doesn't have all of the social media. So it doesn't have the Twitter. It doesn't have the Facebook, which there are gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs more of. So we're going to tackle all that stuff on a later listener feedback show. So if you don't hear your name and you know you've left comments, just know that that probably was on social media, and we promise we'll get to you next time. Don't take it personal. Uh, unless, uh, unless we don't like you, and then you probably should, but... Anyway, uh, Kyle went on to say that he loved the ALF cartoon series. He talks a little bit about it here and there. I'm not going to get into the, the details of it, but I'm so glad to find another soul that loved the ALF cartoon as much as I did. That was a great cartoon. It really was. That Marvel comic ran like 50 issues. It's crazy how long that comic You get a lot of stories out of ALF. That's pretty amazing. 
I mean, that had to far outlast either the series or the animated series, I would yeah. think. So, We heard from our buddy Aaron Head Moss from the Head Speaks podcast and the Task Force X podcast and the G.I. Joe, the Great American Headcast and uh, every other kind of headcast out there. He says, I love the Transformers. Due to Rob's statements about not liking the Transformers, I may have to reconsider listening to the Fire and Water podcast. Well, maybe I'll stop after the fire portion because that, that's the best part. Yeah. Aaron, I always knew he's a smart guy. Heard from our buddy, Cl- our buddy Clinton Rob- Robison, who, by the way, has launched a new blog called the Coffee and Comics Blog. You should check it out. And uh, he did sort of a, an egregious emission sort of list as well. I just want to give a shout out to a couple of them, ones that I totally agree about. Uh, it seemed like there, were, there was a, a large number of animated series missing from the 80s listing. So a couple of ones he put in there. Silverhawks. Loved me some Silverhawks. Loved me some Silverhawks so much that I used to draw my own. I would find other medals they hadn't gotten done yet and like make up my own Silverhawks. And then uh, Brave Star. Love that cartoon. I uh, actually owned that on DVD. and made my kids watch it. They like it too. And Pole Position. I love Pole Position. Pole Position. Great theme song. Fun show. He also mentions He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which... That might, I don't know, may, probably not, but may, might be worth covering for the show one time. Because I used to love that cartoon. And I had the toys. The toys were so much fun. The character, like all the villains were just crazy. They they, re, they reached like Batman rogues gallery-esque proportions for their imaginations. And so I used to, I watched the crap out of that show when I used when I got home from school. Well, the action figures went as far as like the Batman animated series nutsiness too. Because remember, the Batman animated series got really nuts after a while. They'd produce like eighteen hundred different Batman, like Batman in the Arctic suit, Batman in the scuba suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Man was like that too. I mean, they would like Moss Man, and then they repaint him a different color and call him something else. You know, and it just was nuts. Now, I am going to commit a sin and say that I'm not the world's biggest He Man fan. Uh, I don't have a problem with He-Man, so you can stop that hate mail, uh, Kyle Benning. But I'm just, it's not like something I have a lot of passion for. You mentioned your He-Man hate last episode when I talked about the free previews, and you were like, I like those, except for the He-Man one. It's true. So maybe there's a theme there. So what I would say is I think He-Man should be covered on a future show, but I think you should find a guest host and I'll take the week off. Okay, fair enough. All right, because I like taking weeks off. Those are nice. Um, Diablo Frank from the World Spine Network with the Marvel Superheroes uh, podcast, The Under God, The Power of the Atom, The Idle Head of Diablo, The Wonder Woman podcast, and the Where the Hell's My Vibe podcast. Uh, he had lots to say. Just a couple different things pull out. He goes, I, I like this. He goes, I know Space 99 from house ads and the comics and maybe some toys, but it looked totally boring. And I have to agree with you. Every time I saw ads for that, any shot that wasn't the eagle looked boring. <laughs> eagle being the ship. And then he goes on to say, as far this, this is an interesting observation I, never, I didn't really think about. He goes, for the $6 million man, he says, I saw Steve Austin as the Bionic Man, disregarding the show's actual title. That's a good point. I, I don't remember ever referring to him as the $6 million man. We always called him the Bionic Man. I wonder if there was some sort of uh, you know, contractual issue with the word Bionic. Because I know there was a lot of trademarking going on with that word. There is. Back, you, you, so. There is. That's why you can't. That's why they remade the Bionic Woman, but not the $6 million man, because it's like a different. There's some copyright thing between those two t- names. So the Bionic Man is probably copyrighted because or, Bionic Woman's not. The Bionic Six was not. The Bionic, the Six Million Dollar Man is based on the novel. The, right. Is is and that's it, the, those rights are tied up, but the Bionic Woman isn't. And you can't right. co- you cannot copyright Bionic that word. You can't copyright that. But you can copyright Bionic Man. I don't know, but you can maybe. But you but like Mego put out a cheesy Bionic villain. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they didn't have a license to the Bionic Man toys, they made a villain called like the Bi- Mr. Chrome Dome or something, and he was a Bionic <laughs> villain. Yeah, it's one of their worst dolls ever. But you said yeah, just that word by itself, you can't copyright. So that's hmm. you get away with it. Interesting. Then, but I can't remember what was the book called. The book was called Cyborg. Yes. Yeah, I remember that now. Okay. Uh, he says, <laughs> Frank got a little honest here. Uh, he says, I watched an embarrassing amount of Small Wonder, likely more than most any other show discussed. <laughs> it came up on a weekend afternoons at the UHF syndication, and I could watch it with my grandmother. I've re- revisited since, and I'm not sure there ever was a TV show with worse acting across the board. Everything else was a little terrible, too, but the acting caused me physical pain to watch. <laughs> Wow, um, it's a little clip into the psyche of little Frank. I'm just picturing. I'm picturing like Frank as he is now, like watching Small Wonder, just creeping me out. Sadly, I I, I know what I know that you know exactly like. what that looks like. Yeah. I've met Frank. Yeah. Uh, well, I saw that one scene from Pulp Fiction, so I assume I know what he looks like. Anyway, so the uh, '80s Twilight Zone was so good. I figure I'm probably bitter human for having watched it. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, the episode that stuck with me the most involved an Elvis impersonator going back through time to meet the king in his early days, only to accidentally kill him and replace him. Oh my Specifically, gosh. the impersonator saying that's all right, and Elvis takes offense at the mention of Mama, so they fight to the death. One of the dumbest, most pandering stories of the lot, but as a kid, it screwed with my head and still informs my conception of Presley. There was a cool shirt where a children's TV show magician is really Satan tricking a kid into practicing dark magic. Or the one where a woman could stop time freezes a nuke right above the neighborhood and therefore can never unstuck time. Yes, that's in the first episode. That's a great story. That's, I remember that one. Really? Oh, man. That's great. It was good speculative fanciful anthology fiction that suffered only because of direct competition in one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Plus, the title sequence remains unnerving. As I recall, this was in primetime on CBS plus syndication. I watched it. I watched Amazing Stories on NBC, but it was so filled with prefabricated wonderment that even as a child, I found it confectionery. Hmm. So what's the show that it was up against? Twilight Zone? Yeah. I don't remember. It was on Friday nights. I remember that. And I, that's when I, you know, I remember oh, was it, being Was it Dallas, maybe? Because he says no, one of the greatest CB, TV no, shows of all time. CB, no, I think he was saying it, it, it was comparing to the original show. Oh, oh, yeah. direct. Oh, I was thinking shows are opposite of it. I see. I, okay. No, I'm assuming that's what he meant was people were saying, oh, it's not yeah, as good as the original. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah, it really does. Wow. Okay. Um, then he said something else intelligent. So Frank clearly was taking his medication when he wrote all this. So he said, Max Headroom was a trip. I watched it expecting something uh, caustically funny like the talk show or Pepsi commercials, and I was not prepared for the dystopian science fiction with heavy British accents, both audible and tonal. I still can't believe this made it onto ABC schedule, as there's never been anything like it on broadcast TV, though certainly on PBS and cable. If Terry Gilliam had gone into TV during his heyday, it might have played like Max Headroom. It clearly peaked with the pilot, though, which I had on VHS for years, and I still re- reference Blibverts and, and have edited podcasts with them in mind. Boy, that's the truth if you listen to his shows. Because uh, I was already on the Amanda Pays bandwagon long before The Flash, and I still get excited when Matt Frewer turns up on stuff. You know, that's so true. When Matt Frewer showed up, like, on the Star Trek episode, I was like, oh, it's Max Headroom. Like, when, you know, when I first started watching Eureka, oh, it's Max Headroom. I mean, I get so excited. It's, um, it's a, did you ever watch Max Headroom? Yeah, I did. I watched it at the time, yeah. Okay. I mean, it was just wild. And I've watched some of it, like, on YouTube since then, the, the pilot, and it's still pretty good. I mean, it's, it's pretty heavy 80s, but it's, it's, almost like a, it's almost like a Judge Dredd or a 2000 AD comic. It's, it's wild. It is amazing that it aired on network television at that time. It yeah. It really is. 
Heard from our buddy Darren and Ruth Sutherland from the Trekker Talk podcast. They said have been um, they've been a long blah 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 have long been a huge dread. This is harder than it looks, folks. Have long been a huge Red Dwarf fan. Ruth and I actually attended a Red Dwarf convention in the UK a few years ago. All the cast love their fans, and the two brand new seasons are still coming. I can't believe that they're still producing Red Dwarf. That blows my mind. I was watching that 20 years ago. You know, it's just crazy. Darren and Ruth do the coolest stuff. They're always posting pictures of like this cool thing they just went to. It's amazing. I, I love to, I'd love to travel with them or something. They have happy, fun lives. Yeah, they do some pretty cool stuff. Here's us posing with so and so. Here's us posing with so and so. Like, oh my god. Here's us with this statue we bought. Here's us with this thing. Like, that's oh, amazing. Speaking here's of Rod- here's us hanging out with Mike Grell. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, he says, speaking of Roddy McDowell, Rob already knows that I'm a big Planet of the Apes fan from my letter about his Power Records show. I live, I loved the live action at Poda series. Sure, it was the Fugitive, but it was the Fugitive on the Planet of the Apes. That is much more entertaining. <laughs> he uh, he corrected me here on uh, Arc Two. I had talked about they were driving around in an RV. I remember it as a kid. And he says, Arc 2 was great. It was one of those many live-action shows made by Filmation. The Arc 2 was much more than a souped-up RV and looked nothing like the one on Shazam. They spent lots of money designing that vehicle and got, um, and got the show lots of attention. The front of the Arc 2 was later used in the spaceship designs in Space Academy and Jason of Star Command. Hmm, there you go. And speaking of those two shows, the reason the same sets were used in that Jason of Star Command was because it was a sequel to Space Academy. I guess once you graduated Space Academy, you went on to Star Command. J- uh, James Doohan was only in the first season of Jason of the Star Command. He wasn't available for the second season because he was filming Star Trek The Motion Picture. Wow. That's a good enough reason to miss out on the second season. Yes. I'll, for- oh, I'll yeah. forgive you for that. I was struggling during that episode talking about Project UFO and um, Project Blue Book. It's going back and forth about that. He sort of clarifies it for me a bit. Project UFO was the name of the series when it originally aired. But Project Blue Book was the name of the project referred to by the characters in the series. It might have also been the series uh, was later syndicated using that title. Jack Webb was not in the series, but he produced it. The format was similar to the other shows like Adam-12 and Emergency that it took actual cases of UFO sightings investigated by the government and dramatized them into explanations of the sightings that the investigators found. I, I remembered watching that. I mean, I, it's like a vague, hazy memory, but I remember watching that show and really enjoying it. It, was, it felt like X-Files in the 70s, kind of. Hmm. Uh, he, he says, Rob is correct. The original, Buck Ro- <laughs> the, the original Buck Rogers pilot movie was shown in theaters. While it was made for TV, NBC was so impressed with the look of the final product that they felt it was good enough to release, uh, for good enough for theatrical release. I saw it in the theater as well as including that fun dream sequence opening that looks like a disco version of the opening of a James Bond movie. I missed that sequence when the pilot aired on TV that fall without the dream sequence credits. Yeah, I, I, I said I distinctly remember seeing it in the theater. And they even made a Treasury edition. Marvel put out a Treasury edition of the Buck Rogers movie, an adaptation of the movie. So, yeah, it's, it's a weird little curio in the history of Buck Rogers. Well, two follow-up thoughts on that. One was, didn't the opening have nudity in it? I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't think all so. the dreaming. What's that? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it did. It was rated PG. I know. But, well, PG was different back then. Well, um, that's true, but... I, I seem to remember there's some breasts in that thing because I'm, I'm kind of the guy who remembers that stuff, remember? Um, so just I, that might have made it difficult to show that on TV. And it's kind of a long, dreamy sequence. It's pretty trippy because I've seen that part too. And then the other thing I was going to say is I wonder if the fact that Battlestar Galactica – and maybe I have my time frames backwards. Maybe it's the other way around. But Battlestar Galactica was released as a theatrical film in Canada. And I wonder if that played into their interest in releasing Buck Rogers. Or one, I wonder if one of them begat the other being like, hey, you know what? There's money to be made here. Let's do a movie. Mm-hmm. Could have been. Maybe. 
As Shag said, Sapphire and Steel was a great series, mysterious and adventurous. David McCollum from The Man From U.N.C.L.E. and Joanne Lumley followed her time from The New Avengers, but before, absolutely fabulous. So glad to find another Sapphire and Steel fan out there. That show was trippy as hell, but it was really, really cool. Let's see. We, we picked on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because when you watch the TV one, it's really cheesy and cheap. But he goes on to say, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy actually didn't start off as a novel, but as a radio series on the BBC. And I must completely disagree that the TV series is bad. It's fantastic. A true classic. Sure, it looks cheap. That's part of the charm. It's, that is a very fair statement. Uh, I loved it considerably growing up, so it's, it's very fair to say. Finally, for the listeners who haven't met Gil Gerard, Okay. I said some disparaging comments about Gil Gerard because I've met him at conventions. I wasn't too mean, just said he doesn't wash his hands in the bathroom. But anyway, he goes on to say, finally, for the listeners who haven't met Gil Gerard, I must share some more positive memories. Besides the many positive interactions I've had with him at various cons over the last 20 years, I will always remember a couple of stories Aaron Gray has shared. Pat, my, that's my heart thumping when he mentioned Aaron Gray. Including the time he walked onto the set and noticed that all the extras in uniform in the background were men, and he insisted they have a mix of men and women because he didn't believe that that was the way things would be in the future. And then apparently... Um, when they revamped for season two, they wanted to drop Aaron Gray, and he refused to do the second season without her. Nice. I mean, that's pretty awesome. So Also fair. smart. Well, tri- <laughs> Probably kept the boys watching. Uh, fair. Very fair. Uh, so thank you for coming to defense. I appreciate that. Herm, from my buddy Centaurin, he says, I was at a science fiction convention many years ago, and one of the funny things I remember was that whenever Danny John Jules was walking around the convention, he was wearing a caterpillar ball cap. Now, for those of you who don't know off the top of your head who Danny John Jules is, he played Cat on, uh, on Red Dwarf. So wearing a Caterpillar cap, that's pretty funny because they always say Cat. See, there's the C-A-T. It's, I got it. It spells yeah. it out. Yeah, I got so it. It's a short version. It's, that's a funny, son. That's a funny. I uh, heard from Eric. He goes, just a small correction on the Bionic Woman info. The series actually ran for f- three seasons, not the two, as was mentioned. The first two on ABC with The Six Million Dollar Man was also broadcast, and then the series moved to NBC for its final season. While the change of networks didn't allow any more crossovers with Steve Austin, the actors playing Oscar and Rudy were regulars on the NBC version. Now, that's interesting. I wonder if that played into a role why Oscar and Rudy could appear over there. Because, you know, we've been talking about this whole cross-network thing with, like, Arrow and Supergirl and, and this stuff and how you don't see characters move from one uh, network to another often. I wonder if the fact that they started on the same network played a role in why they were allowed to do it later. Hmm. Makes you wonder. I still hope they do something with Flash and Supergirl. So. I'm sure they will. Well, supposedly they take place in different universes, but I've got my fingers crossed. So, All right, we're going to move on to episode 126 where we talked about live action stuff uh, like Avengers 2, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, things like that. And Zumi Kanori came back and said, because no one demanded it, the theme to the TV show Firestorm is Atomic Friends, the karaoke version. It's out there on YouTube, folks. Uh, you'll find the comments over on Firestorm Fan. Oh, my gosh, it's hilarious. It's the theme to Firestorm, uh, uh, to Spider-Man is Amazing Friends. But Zoom has written lyrics that come up on the YouTube video, and you can sing along with it, which I've done many, many, many times. It is an absolute hoot. Firestorm and his atomic friends. Anyway, thank you, Zoom. That warmed my heart, and I shared it with a lot of people who didn't want to hear about it. Earth 2 Chris says, Seriously, I'm glad you guys have come around to my way of thinking on Chris Evans' betrayal of Cap. He is the reason I get stoked for these Marvel films. I jokingly referred to both Avengers films as Captain America and those other guys, kind of like Shag and his Firestorm and his atomic friends. I hate to, I'll hate to see Evans go, but it's good to know he's on board through Avengers 4 or 3.5 or whatever it will be. 
it sounds like uh, from the statements Evans been, has been making, he's in for the long haul. I think he even said something like, I'll do these films as long as Marvel wants me. Yeah, that's the interview I read recently, yeah. too. Yeah, He said he's done with other acting gigs. Yeah. But it, this one, he'll keep doing these. I wouldn't shock me if they end up killing off or getting rid of Thor and Iron Man, but but keeping Chris Evans as the, the linchpin. Because, you know, Captain America was the linchpin of the Avengers in the comic, too. So, Well, I always suspected... Uh, do with the movies what they were working towards was getting because we knew chris evans was going to leave right so i always thought they were working out a plan for eventually robert downey jr to leave because he's just he's too big a star he's not gonna hang around forever uh chris helmsworth because eh, you know it's thor and whatever and iron and and captain america because evans was going to leave i figured they were always working out a plan to get rid of the three of them you know with falcon and with you know ant-man and scarlet witch and quicksilver and vision and you know all the other ancillary characters they're bringing in trying to build up the next roster of avengers to be able to handle this you know war machine steps in for iron man and vision steps in for thor and falcon would probably be the new Captain America or Bucky would. That's what kind of where I figured they're going. But now that they have Chris Helmsworth for good, Chris I Evans, think, Chris Evans. I'm sorry, Chris Chris Evans. I think he uh, I think he just hosed Falcon and, and Winter Soldier's chances of becoming Captain America in the movie. So possibly, yeah. I it'll be. I would love to see an Avengers movie that's like Cap, Scarlet Witch, Vision, Black Panther, Spider Man. Like that's that. I don't know, Falcon, War Machine. That's a neat lineup. I'd be I'd be really interested in that. I, th- I think you just might. So. I uh, heard from our buddy again, Darren Sutherland. He says that Firestorm, um, the Firestorm stories, he's talking about in The Flash. The Firestorm stories were easily the most interesting episodes of The Flash in season one for me, and I'm hoping the character transitions well in the spinoff. Well, uh, when he wrote that uh, that post back in 1997, because that's how long ago these episodes aired, uh, we didn't know how it was going to play out with um, Jack's, Jack's, Jack, Jefferson Jackson, and uh, I think it played out pretty well. So I think you're right. I think we're looking good for the uh, spinoff. He asks, Rob, I'm curious to hear your thoughts specifically on Ultron. This is, this is Kyle Benning now. No, isn't it still? Oh, oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, Kyle Benning. He says, Rob, I'm curious to hear your thoughts specifically on Ultron as a villain or credible threat. I believe in past episode you had mentioned that typically the only weak part of these films was that most of the villains were kind of weak one-noters outside of Loki. Did Ultron fit that bill in your eyes as well, or was he, it, a standout or more credible, interesting threat? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I didn't think he was necessarily that much of a threat. Uh, I liked Avengers Age of Ultron actually more than the first Avengers movie, uh, but I don't think Ultron was a whole lot more of a threat because it was basically like, I can control all computers and then I'm just going to build a bunch of robots who attack people and then all my robots are killed and then I die at the end. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, all, all together, I liked the movie more and I did, I did like James Spader's take on Ultron. So, yeah, I thought he was a more memorable villain. I, I would like to see... It'll, with Marvel having to branch out with more of their films, like the Black Panther film, the Doctor Strange film, they're having to create more villains. Not create more villains, but adapt more villains. And so it gives us more chance, I think, to come up with some different ones. Like in Doctor Strange, uh, the, the I can never say that guy's name. Uh, no, no, no. The actor playing him is like... Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch? No, 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 no. The guy playing Baron Mordo... I cannot say his name. The guy from 12 Years a Slave. I literally cannot say his name. He's playing Baron Mordo. That's a really interesting choice. A real heavy hitter actor, and that might make Baron Mordo like more memorable a villain. The character's name is Nuclear. Yes. (laughs) 
Um, by the way, I should have mentioned also earlier these comments. We're, we're just pulling little tiny snippets out. It's probably yeah. We could we would, we would this would be a nine hour episode if we yeah, read it's fifty that. pages, yeah. folks. Yeah. We're just pulling we we're just pulling little tiny pieces that were you know were, are kind of strike our fancy. Um, Kyle goes on to say, in my opinion, Hawkeye and Black Widow stole the show in Avengers two, and that was definitely needed as they're often pointed as the characters from the movies that don't belong in the Avengers and are unrelatable. Seeing Hawkeye and I share the same birthplace, which is very Waverly, Iowa, with that eleven thousand strong. It's always good to see him get a chance to shine in the spotlight. I totally agree. I, I felt like Hawkeye's portrayal in the f- film was really, really good. Scarlet Witch, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it, oh, you said Black Widow. I'm sorry. Black Widow, I think she did a, she did a great job. I really liked her performance probably in um, Captain America 2 a little more. Uh, we delved more in her background in Avengers 2, but I don't know. I just kind of like that portrayal. It might just be that I like her hair straight. I don't know. But so it's um, Hawkeye was a great character. I mean, I really, really, really connected with him in this movie, especially, you know, as a parent and a wife. Or, I mean, having a wife and kids and stuff. That was really, really powerful. Really enjoyed it. Her former buddy Ange, he says, as for the critics, they are misguided. I have said, as Rob has said, that the Flash has plenty of relation. Oh, I'm sorry. This is all about Supergirl. Uh, Ange was talking. This is the point when the Supergirl trailer was out, but we hadn't seen the show yet. So this is his comments on the trailer. Sorry. As for the critics, they are misguided. I have said, as Rob has said, that The Flash has plenty of relationship stuff as well, as did Buffy. You could easily put together a six-minute trailer of The Flash and make it look like a romantic comedy. Regardless, so what if there's some romance and comedy in Supergirl? That's just um, This is just what Superman and especially Supergirl fans are looking for. Bright, optimistic, fun, strong, fierce. Not all romantic comedies have plane rescues and super-powered brawls with trucks exploding. Good point. And now that we've seen Supergirl the first several episodes, Ange, I think you're definitely onto it. And I'm enjoying the heck out of the show. Really am. Heard from Craig McDonald, uh, and he said, in regard to the Legends of Tomorrow trailer, he pointed out that all of the scenes for that were exclusively shot for the trailer. I don't think we knew that at the time that we did the episode, that all the scenes in that trailer were specifically recorded for that, because they, they hadn't filmed the first episode yet at that point. So and near as I can tell, they're starting to film Legends of Tomorrow now, or, or a little way into filming for that show. So, very cool. Thank you for that tip. Mike Gillis from Reader vs. the Martians and Podcasta La Vista Baby. Also, he's appeared on Secret Origins and the Film and Water Show and, of course, Fire and Water as well. Hey, regarding Supergirl, he says, Despite my best efforts not to care about Supergirl, I can't help but get excited about it. He goes on to say, It looks fun and optimistic. It's unapologetically excited about being a superhero show. And it treats heroism as a calling rather than a response to personal tragedy or parental issues. That alone is just a lifesaver in a sea of over-serious angst and brooding. Eh, absolutely. Dead on. Uh, Diablo Frank wrote in again regarding Supergirl. He says, I doubt Melissa Benoist will ever replace Helen Slater as the Supergirl of my heart, but she's cute and seems to fit the part, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, we are going to get into the Supergirl show on a later episode, uh, so we're not going to get too much into it here. But I would say that uh, Melissa Benoist is, to me, filling the Supergirl role very similarly to how Helen Slater did, is that I think the show around her is not as good as the performance of Supergirl, the way the movie was not as good as Helen Slater was as Supergirl. So, but I think I think Melissa Benoist is killing it as as Carr. I think she's terrific. I love how you prefaced all those comments with "We're not going to get into it." I, well, that was one <laughs> sentence. That wasn't that big of a deal. Really long sentence. <laughs> all right, episode one thirty three uh, regarding uh, that was the Batman v Superman trailer, where it was me and Michael Bailey from Count Druncula, Ryan Daly. He says Rob's passionate speculation about what he foresees for the end of this movie with the heroes coming together, united and comparatively sunny. Almost turned me around. Almost turned me around on wanting to see this film. Almost. 
<laughs> Ryan is determined not to not to get, go into this movie. By the way, the big rumor flew today that Mira is going to be in the Justice League movie. Is cool. going to is going to be in the, the which will be really really interesting if they do that. I heard the casting list for Mira is so short that if it was any shorter, it wouldn't be a list. Interesting. I read that on the Aquaman Shrine Twitter feed. You might have heard of it. Oh yeah, I don't follow that. Oh, okay. It's just the ramblings of a madman. Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. Uh, Michael Chiaroscuro said, again, by the way, you should check out his non-existent Batman and the Outsiders blog. He says, uh, seeing Batman and Superman on screen together for the first time in a film? Check. Seeing Wonder Woman on screen in a film and seeing her look absolutely fantastic? Check. My Lord Godot looks the part, huh? I could go on, but suffice to say, I agree with you that two gen- I agree with you two gents that uh, la, 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 la. I agree with you two gents on most all of your points about this trailer. So he's uh, he's looking forward to it, which is great. Earth 2 Chris, uh, Chris Franklin, went on to say, I can also understand Batman's motivation far better now. Who can blame Bruce Wayne for being distrustful of Superman after living through the Battle of Metropolis? He goes on to say, and even from the first trailer and picks, the one saving grace for the film for me was that they finally got Batman's costume right after 26 years of film. That's a hilarious statement, and I didn't think about it until I read it. And I'm like, damn, he's absolutely right. Batman finally looks like Batman, the suit they've given him. Yeah, he looks like the Dark Knight Batman. Um, even more than that, he looks almost, he looks kind of like even the Jim Lee Batman now, you know, the way they, they, the way Batman's portrayed nowadays, he looks like Batman. So you can deny it if you want. That's fine. Uh, then we heard from Bradley Null, who's our buddy over on Instagram, who posts a lot of stuff for the Fire and Water podcast. We appreciate that. He said, exactly the two people I want to hear discuss this trailer. I'm actually looking forward to the sequel for the first time. Man of Steel is a film I love or hate every moment of, sometimes at the same time. It's exhausting to watch. I had given up on the series. So um, now, with the new trailer and your all's talk, he's looking forward to it. Very cool. Then on episode 142, we had a discussion about the Flash season two premiere. So this is the feedback on that. Or to Chris again, Chris Franklin said, as for the Flash premiere, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't as wow as I expected. I agree with Shag that the Firestorm CGI was a bit more noticeable than past episodes. And I don't think Ronnie's dead dead. Nobody in parallel universe plots probably mean he's out there for guest spots. Um, I wanted to use that as a segue just ever so briefly to mention the... Flash season two, you know, we're up to episode five or six or something like that now. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. It's very good. But I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried they're leaning too heavily on this whole parallel world storyline. Like, it's starting to lose my wife. And she's a normal person. Uh, and not, not lose like she doesn't understand it, but lose her interest. And so I'm a little worried. I, I hope the rest of the normal people in the world are still really plugged in on it. But I'm, I'm a little concerned. Uh, Zoom Yukinori writes, he says, I would donate to any cause that has Rob Kelly playing FDR throughout, especially if on occasion he has a debate with the Super Friends dark side. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to come up with a funny line to say for dark side. (laughs) My God, dark side, you're worse than Tojo. (laughs) You can take your new deal and shove it. (laughs) Uh, And Zoom goes on. End (laughs) scene. And Zoom goes on to say, and the new rendition of your closing theme sounds really good. Nice to keep us longtime listeners on our toes. Zoom, you win the Dark Knight Detective Award of 2015, by the way, because we changed out the end theme of the Fire and Water podcast show before announcing it, one episode early. We changed it out early, and you, sir, are the single listener out of the thousands, no, nay, millions of people that download (laughs) our show on a weekly basis, the only person to notice the change. So you, sir... 
are officially our Dark Knight detective of this year. Congratulations. Use that, uh, use that honor and, and use it respectfully. Use it only for good. All right. Uh, another episode that got a lot of commentary is episode 144, which was our journey to Star Wars, The Force and the Force, the Force the Awakens. And, um, Charles Coletta mentioned on one of our blogs, he, he mentioned that there's a shop called uh, – or a, a company called Fierce Confections out of Cleveland, and they produce chocolate Death Stars and chocolate Millennium Falcons. And, in fact, I do know this, Charles, because my stepson ate a chocolate Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Uh, Earth 2 Chris says, fun show, guys. It wouldn't surprise me if an organized Jedi church doesn't spring up someday in the future after Star Wars hasn't entered the public domain. Of course, Disney's gotten really good at fending that legal transition off Mickey, anyone? So it may be a while. Uh, Count Druncula writes and he says... Okay, hold on. We got to talk about this Jedi religion crap for a second. Uh, Oh, what? So Rob proposed that there would be... You know, in the future, in shopping malls, there would be a Church of the Jedi or something like that. And there's actually a lot of discussion in the comments, and I've highlighted some of them to talk about. But that's where we're going with that church and religion nonsense. That was Rob putting out the idea, and I said he's insane. So, all right, please continue. Count Dracula, Ryan Daly. (sighs) Okay. Count Dracula, like Rob, I wasn't thrilled about Lucasfilm's decision to hire Colin Trevorrow to direct episode 9. I hated Jurassic World, and I thought the scenes between the humans were the worst parts of the story, which is an (laughs) Which doesn't endear him as a director to me. Short of that, the only thing about The Force Awakens that distresses me from the marketing so far is this tink lack of lack of vests. <laughs> what? There's not a lot. There's only there seems to be one vest that goes between character to character in that movie. Okay. Uh, we also got a message from someone named STF Seven. Uh, I assume that's one of like the droids that we never got to see. He says, I think the Jedi religion thing will wear out its welcome personally, especially if folks try and actually follow the really messed up force teachings of the prequels, the nice of all emotions. Don't care about your fellow humans. Not terribly caring much about the next movie of Star Wars personally. Prequels were terrible, and unlike you two, I found the bad robot trek horrible, so I have zero faith in Abrams putting out a decent movie. Plus, I only trust Disney to run it firmly into the ground. So I'll just happily stay with my joy and consider the Zon books, the sequels, and that's about it. Hey, that's a perfectly valid opinion. So yeah, power sure. to you, man. Yeah. And the Zon books are great, so I'm with you there. I, I reread those not too long ago and enjoyed them again. You know, my wife's sort of the same opinion as him. She, she doesn't, she's not excited for the new movie. She said the trailer looks fine, but she's like, well, as long as they just do one, I suppose that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> that's going to be a problem, honey. <laughs> Sorry. It's going to have to hide every year until infinity. <laughs> oh, so I kind of like had a, yeah, so. I think I'm going to see this with my stepson. I don't think she'd be going. Uh, That's Darren... like really cute, your wife, as long as they do the one. That's so cute. It's like, <laughs> so naive. Isn't that hilarious? So I heard from Darren Sutherland again. He said, I've mentioned before my love of the original trilogy and the expanded universe from the excellent novels and Dark Horse comics during the 1990s. I am certain I will see The Force Awakens, and I'm quite confident I'll probably see it in the cinema once after the crowds subside. But I still feel burned by episodes 1, 2, and 3, and I just find it difficult to get very excited about Star Wars until it proves to me that it can be good again. And I really hope it does. He may, again, another person who's nervous and loves the EU and can use cinema in a sentence properly. So I'm impressed. Thank you, Darren. Uh, we got a message from David, David M. Gutierrez, co-host of the defunct Ultraverse podcast. He writes, Rebel Scum. First of all... <laughs> you didn't read the next bit. Oh, and Shag's little buddy like Gilligan. Well, that was yeah. Like a little bit. All right. Rebel Scum. First off, my comparison of Kelly to Chris Christie is only because I was so overcome by Kelly's New Jersey accent. It was the only comparison I had immediately at hand. Yeah, Chris Christie is the only famous New Jerseyan. Kelly's organized crime ties are well known, as well as Shag's Florida Man X points. 
exploits, so I think it's understandable. I would be intimidated by this Jabba-level crime boss. Agree on the Force Awakens poster. Not impressive and feels a little designed by committee. Shag's using his daughter to cover up his Shopkins habit again? Pathetic. All the best, David. <laughs> Just, you know, this Chris Christie thing hasn't ended. David was texting me about that today. <laughs> Comparing you to Chris Christie. I, okay. Nathan, <laughs> Nathaniel, Nathaniel Wayne uh, from 90s Comics Retrial and Secret Origins. He's like, uh, while I don't, regarding the, uh, the whole Jedi Star Wars origin thing, he says, well, I don't think you're crazy the way Shag did. I still think you're wrong. Yay, I get to have this cake and eat it too. <laughs> wrong, Nathaniel. You've just angered both of us, so you get nothing. Nope, nope, nope. He, I'm on board. Thank you, Nathaniel. Nothing. In fact, I wrote him back in an email. I said, Nathaniel, because he, he said he's worried he's going to offend people with his comments. And I said, dude, first of all, don't apologize. And second of all, you agreed with me. So, and, you know, shows how smart you are. Her from Joseph uh, Massaro, who's been writing us quite a bit lately. We appreciate it. He said, I enjoyed your podcast. As, uh, as far as Star Wars being a religion in two, two to three hundred years, I don't see it. Now, I'm just sort of – he wrote a lot of really interesting stuff about the way science fiction works in reality. So I'm just going to pull out a couple bits here. It says, as we get closer to attaining the things science fiction authors write and speculate about, I think that science fiction becomes less and less relevant. Star Wars isn't science fiction. It's action-adventure set in face, space, so surprisingly, it has a greater chance of remaining in popular consciousness for its lack of science. Then he goes on to say, when we have attained many of the things that Star Wars borrows from pure science fiction, even its relevancy will greatly diminish and become little more than a fantasy adventure film. This leads to its ascendancy to a cult religion less likely. So, someone else agrees with me. Okay. <laughs> Or from our buddy Luke Dobb, who uh, runs Luke uh, runs Dobb Creative. He's appeared on the Film and Water podcast, and he's the guy who writes a lot of the songs for this Fire and Water podcast, and he's the most dastardly creative man alive. He says, uh, I talked about Cliff Notes, and he says, Shang doesn't read Cliff Notes. He reads Cliff Carmichael Notes. Zing. <laughs> uh, when my parents brought, uh, brought my brother and I Christmas shopping at the age of when we were riding in the cart, they would separate us, one kid to each parent, and then we would pick one toy for our sibling. For the years, I remember that I remember doing this. We only bought each other Star Wars action figures. <laughs> goes on to say, my father has a strong Dutch heritage, and we used to celebrate the arrival of Sinterklaas, uh, the Dutch Santa Claus. Sinterklaas would leave gifts for good little children in the heels of our shoes. One morning, my brother and I awoke long before the sun rose to discover Lobot and an Ugnaught in our shoes. My brother received Lobot. In other words, that was the year I learned that Sinterklaas didn't <laughs> like me very much. <laughs> Those are the Star Wars figures that belong in your shoes. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> um, regarding our episode, we'll forget what episode number this is, the Jerry Conway interview that we talked about the creator rights. Earth 2 Chris wrote, great interview, guys. Obviously, I'm behind this whole initiative, but listening to Jerry actually talk about this has me pumped that much more. Such a class act. No vitriol, no nastiness, just asking for clarification and compensation on things due to him. Nothing more, nothing less. I was glad you brought a vibe at the end of the show. That's one person. There's a potential Conway creation in every single Flash episode unless you start splitting hairs. <laughs> that that interview with Jerry was just an absolute blast. I mean, we've interviewed a lot of creators over the years, and it it's just feels so comfortable chatting with Jerry, you know? I just I adore him. Maybe, maybe for you. <laughs> Are you nervous? Yes, of course. I'm intimidated. I, I, yeah, yeah, sure. It's Jerry Conway. How can yeah. you be... What do you mean? How can I? You just—that statement is self-defeating. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, you make a good point. So, um, Joe X was kind enough to point out to us that we were getting uh, pimped over on Bleeding Cool with that interview. Actually, Bleeding Cool transcribed parts of our interview and yes, published they it. Did. So that was amazing. Yes, uh, Diablo Frank said it pleases me that to hear Jerry Conway makes money off the Vixen. I'm going to watch that web series so hard. 
Uh, Kyle Benning uh, was left us a lot of nice comments. He reminded me, by the way, I should mention that you can go out and still use this hashtag and bring up a lot of the information on it. it was a, that was part of a crossover we called the Conway crossover. So the hashtag was Conway X over. And if you go out there and use the hashtag, there was a ton of folks that participated in that. And you can find some of those uh, listings on our blog anyway. And I'll, I, don't even, I don't want to start naming folks because I will forget the number of folks because we had a large number of people that participated in that comic crossover. A lot of fun. My thanks to everyone who jumped in. Regarding episode 124, which was the Bob Haney Showcase uh, third whoop, one whoop, and whoop. the Geek Talk, uh, Ange says, ran across this in Superman Family 184 and thought it was worth sharing. A brief bio of our hero, Zany Bob Haney. And it's one of those DC profiles they used to do. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but I love this. This is one paragraph. During the late 1960s, Bob picked up some work outside the comic book publishing racket, having joined the writing team of Superman, Batman, and Aquaman cartoon series. I love that they call it a racket. I love that. <laughs> oh, Bob. We love you so much. You know, it's do. been a long time since we've done a zany Yeah, movie. we got to do another one of those soon. Well, here's a suggestion for another one uh, from our buddy Angie again. He said, too, in the next zany Henny episode, you must do Brave and the Bold number 18. Just insanity. And he sent us the cover. Batman and Wildcat co-starring The Joker. They made the best man die, and they're in a boxing ring punching each other. And it's and fantastic apparel because it looks like Batman and Wildcat are punching each other's jaws off. Yeah, it looks great. It looks great. Now, if I remember right, didn't Ann suggest one of the last ones we did? I think the Supergirl I think so. Episode, maybe. maybe so, yeah. 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 Cool. Really gets them in there. Uh, we got a comment about this from Earth 2. Chris, I had this B&B regarding the one that we covered. Um, uh, I think I got it from one of those Whitman Comics repacks. You know where the Whitman W symbol replaces the DC bullet? Glad you guys couldn't make sense of this one because I never could. This was probably one of the first non-JLA comics I had with Flash in it after meeting him on Challenge of the Super Friends. I can still see Bruce in his Travolta outfit. In fact, I was forced to wear a blue version of that suit for Easter that year, so I don't feel so bad <laughs> since Batman wore one just like it. <laughs> now, Chris wears some crazy Chris, stuff if you nowadays. Have, if you have too. a picture of that, Chris, please send it in. <laughs> you, did you see all his Halloween pictures you put on Facebook? Mm-hmm, they they mm-hmm. dressed up quite a bit during they the Halloween did. season. yeah. Uh, Michael Kiriskiro wrote and he goes uh, referring to that issue he just read it recently and he said it's one of the goofiest most ridiculously fun comics I've ever read uh, then he said we had an interesting short discussion at the end regarding whether or not modern comic fans would take to these zany Haney stories I suppose it depends on how we're defining modern comic fans I assume Rob meant people who started reading comics in the past 5 to 10 years I can only go based on some people I know in their 20s who read comics and those I see at the local comic shop one co-worker of mine is in her 20s and is up for reading any older stories I recommend to her. She has a good sense of humor and loves silliness, and she'd be ideal audience for Zany Haney. But when I see younger comic fans in the shops, it doesn't appear that they have so much interest in these wacky Bronze Age stories. Again, I have no proof. This is just based on anecdotal evidence. The most common complaint I hear from new comics readers and, uh, and that I read online from those fans is that old comics simply have too much exposition. A lot of things to say about this. First of all, this is entirely a fabrication because we know girls don't read comics. Uh, second of all, I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to piss people off with that. Sorry. Uh, second of all, hi- him saying about younger readers not being interested in, in older wacky comics, I think he's dead on. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you know, coming up in like 83, 84, I was like 12 or 13 years old, whatever. I didn't like Silver Age. I mean, sorry, I didn't like the Bronze Age 70s stuff either because I felt it was goofy. Like these kinds of Brave and the Bold, I would have hated them at that age. 
because I would have felt like they were just too goofy. I wanted my serious, you know, I wanted my X-Men. I wanted my comics to be dark and gritty. And then my stepson, who's 16, that's all he wants are sort of dark and gritty. He doesn't mind humor if it's like Deadpool kind of snarky, nasty humor. But um, he wants his heroes to be edgy. You know, he roots for the bad guys all the time. So I think he's right. I think there's an age thing. I think you, you have to mature a bit before you can appreciate the corny, campy stuff. I think that's how that works. And um, as far as the last line he said, where all these complaints about comics simply have too much exposition, blows my friggin' mind. I, I get it, but I don't. I get it because I hear it enough. Okay, yeah, fine, whatever. But that's why I love old comics. I want to read a lengthy story. If I'm going to spend time to sit down and read something, I want to pick something up this dense. I don't want to pay three ninety nine for a comic I read in three and a half minutes. Yeah, that's that's my main beef nowadays with comics. I want to you know pick up an issue of Micronauts, even if I don't. I don't care if I spend three ninety nine on it. It's going to take me twenty minutes to read it. There's so many friggin' words, and that's if I move quick. And I'd rather do that. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. The world's the world's backwards. I'm an old man. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Andrew wrote in and he says, I own the disco issue and remember the yowza yowza vividly. As a kid, I didn't understand <laughs> it at all, but there was a ton to love. It sounds like I wouldn't understand it now either. I remember a part where the flushes after image hologram somehow taps the demon woman on the shoulder. How is that possible? <laughs> it's any Haney. You don't ask these questions. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we heard from little Russell Burbage uh, f- um, from Talak uh, Galtros. And he's a part of the Legion Super, or he's he's actually our fearless leader over the Legion Super Bloggers, the editor in chief. He also runs the Aquaman and Aqualad Facebook group. He goes, I was one of the fans that Rob mentioned, who only picked up World's Finest every once in a while. In fact, the first issue I ever saw was uh, World's Finest 233. You guessed it, a Super Sun story. I only knew the characters from TV and from JLA. To read this and think that they were married and had sons, I believed it. Then I picked up some detective comics and actually comic issues and was thoroughly confused. Never warmed to the Super Sons again. <laughs> and so Russell was wearing his angry pants even when he was a little kid. I think I think Russell was born in his angry pants. Rudabu <laughs> uh, Frank, okay, one of these days an actual metamorpho story should be paired with the theme song. That's fair. That's fair. That's, we just Say love that. that theme song so much, though. We do love that theme. I was singing it the other day, actually. Um, send us. Tell you what, folks, send us in what you think to be like the craziest Bob Haney metamorpho stories, because that would be helpful. Because I haven't read them. Um, and I would, I, I think that'd be fun. We could pick out, you know, in a metamorpho issue for the next one. Cause it seems like that's fair. We should cover a metamorpho story. We absolutely should. We shouldn't always go to our default of Batman. We can't help it. So, well, there's brave and the bold with Batman and metamorpho. We could do that. Yeah. But what, tell you what, you guys write in and tell us what, what you think is the craziest one. And we'll take a look at it. Okay. Uh, Frank also said, at least the painfully dumb disco story had Jim Aparo to sell it, but a particular bloodless Dick Dillon playing the Super Sun straight is about appealing as a Duggar family Christmas special. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get the Duggar family Christmas special, but who's that? You don't know who the Duggar family is? No, I don't. I really don't. Really? No. You never heard of those people? The 19 kids and counting? No clue. Oh, my God. Shit. Is, that a, is that a modern day reality show? Yeah. Oh, pff, that's why. There you go. But then they got in trouble because never. Well, you know what? Let's not bog the shit up. I don't care. Okay. I really don't. They got <laughs> I, they got I into a lot a, of they got into a lot of trouble. Let's just say that. Okay, I thought it was a '70s reference. So no. yeah, it just shows you how much I don't watch modern day TV because it sucks. And get off my lawn, by the way. I heard from our buddy Lucien Dessar, who's uh, in a subway with a bucket of sharks right now. It's his question, in a lot of Marvel comics, the first page usually has a quick synopsis about the character as well as the backstory. Do you think DC should do the same, or have they in the past? It's very useful when you pick up a com- any comic and, um, 
at any issue and have the ability to understand where the story left off. Plus, it would allow readers that want to just pick up any issue that otherwise wouldn't because of knowing, uh, not knowing the background, the backstory. Not to mention, even if you're reading monthly, you might forget what happened in the previous month. I'll tell you what. My opinion on this is hell yes. I actually really, really like Marvel's use of that page. It serves many functions. One, it gets you caught up. You know, if you've never read the issue before Two, like you said, it refreshes your memory because goodness knows a month goes by and you forget. Or maybe it's been a couple. Maybe it's been a couple months and you just let it stack up. You haven't read it yet. It helps refresh your memory Two, it. You know, from a company point of view, it allows them to print the trade paperback more seamlessly. Because you can do the trade paperback with about a, without as much exposition, you know, recapping because you don't need to do it because it's all on the front page. So when they do the, the trade paperback, they just cut those recap pages and it just reads smoothly like a collection. Um, now, with DC cutting everything back to 20 pages, I wouldn't want them to give up another page of story in, as a replacement for it. But I, I think they're a great addition. I think they'd be wonderful. Now, do you have an opinion on these pages, Rob? Uh, my issue with comics nowadays is that the stories are so brief that I don't know why you need a recap to, re- to recap like essentially three pages of story from the previous issue. I mean, that, that, that is really my major beef is that every time I buy a, a new comic, first of all, like you just mentioned, it's like three ninety nine, four ninety nine, and then I read it and it took me 30 seconds. And I, that, so I'm not exactly sure. Now, maybe there must be some other comics that are not like that, that are more dense reads. But uh, like something like Aquaman, like how would you even recap Aquaman number 44 and Aquaman <laughs> number 45? Aquaman and Mera had sex. Yeah, that's it. Aquaman <laughs> puts his pants on and then he, you know, so yeah. But But I get what... Lucian is saying, I, I do like that idea of if you're going to do endlessly continued stories, then yeah, recap them every month and, and you know, you don't have to worry about all this constantly. Well, as we know what happened last month, yabba, 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 yabba. So I think it's a bad well, idea. To sort of explain my position a little more, I think that the only Marvel comics I've read for the last several years on a regular basis with like new ones were Hawkeye and Daredevil which are denser reads, which mm-hmm. do merit a page. And then before that, I was reading all um, – I mean, this goes back several years, but I was reading all of Bendis' Avengers books, which whether you like them or not, he puts a lot of words in there at least. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they, they're worth recapping there too. So. Yeah. No, overall, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, heard from Greg Arujo. Oh, sorry, that's for you. That's for me. Greg Arujo. Greg Arujo's mine uh, from the <laughs> Secret Origins. Uh, he was on the Secret Origins show. He says uh, on Twitter, he put, at Aquaman Shrine and Firestorm Fan – this episode does this episode come with a warning not to operate heavy machinery while listening to it? Hashtag Zany Haney. <laughs> I think that's always safe. You know, don't don't use power tools when you're listening to a Zany Haney episode. Yeah, don't, um, don't have to be anywhere after listening to this episode. Like, remember Stephen Kilgore? Uh used to listen to the show quite frequently and he did a lot of heavy wet, uh working with a lot of heavy machinery. It could be that he listened to a Zany Haney and that's why we haven't heard from and him. Now he's all. called Lefty. Oh running episode. <laughs> what? I don't even I don't know what you're Doing. Episode 128, which was the Whatever Happened to Dr. Midnight and Adam show. Earth to Chris, I picked these two issues up a year or so ago at a con, mostly for the Whatever Happened to features. Normally, I'd come to the defense of a stalwart artist like Joe Giella, but Rob's right. There, I said it. I respect Giella's place in comics history, but he must be the most overpowering anchor to ever work the, this page this side of Jack Abel. He changes nearly everyone into Joe Giella, and that's what <laughs> happened here. Alex Saviak has a pleasing house-style look but it's so easily homogenized. Coloring book is a good way to describe the look. The story is pretty good and does a better job of telling us where Charles McKnighter is nowadays versus the second story. Uh, Martin Gray also commented, he says, P.S. Dr. Midmite in the title above, good gag. Yeah, I'm going to say that was on purpose, Martin. It was very clever of me. 
Her, Michael Curiscuro said, he's curious. Uh, when you read these older issues for the podcast, where do you typically get the issues? Do they come from your old lawn boxes or do you tend to make sure you can find each of them digitally on Comixology first before you decide upon which issues to review? Back issue bin hunting for some of uh, some of these could take some time. And I was curious if you're using digital editions for the most part. I've recently become addicted to reading comics digitally, although I still buy and read more hard copies than digital. I can see the temptation with digital, no storage issues in the house, and ease of purchase. Plus, Marvel Unlimited rocks. Shags, I'm there with you. I just signed up for the annual membership, and I'm overwhelmed at how many amazing old and new series they have out there. I wish DC would launch their version of Marvel Unlimited. Um, Rob, what do you answer first? <laughs> I was drinking water. You <laughs> caught me unaware. God damn it. You're drinking Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> no, I'm just drinking water because I'm Aquaman. Vodka? It's okay. Rob, Rob is, Rob's been hanging out with Joe Slab a lot lately. He's got a really horrendous drinking problem now. Um, For these ones specifically, these are ones that I own. For the, a lot of times, we go and recap comics that we both, either Shag I really like, so I either own them or I will go track them down. Digitally or in some other form. Uh, so Still digitally. Still digitally. <laughs> Just not um, legit. <laughs> no, but most most of these are things that I own. Like all the who's who. I own all the who's who's and stuff. So, um, But yeah, for, for a series that we're going to purposely talk about, like the Aquaman, any Aquaman comic I own or these DC comics, since ones are Brave and the Bolds, they're pretty much comics that I, that I have already. Uh, I own the vast majority of what we talk about. However, I have something like... I'm either up to 40 or 50 long boxes and they're all wedged. I know. And they're all wedged into this one little closet and uh, they're stacked like six high and really wide and they're extremely difficult to get to. So um, I have a couple of boxes out and accessible with like Firestorm, Blue Devil, Who's Who, things like that. Beyond that, I do typically lean on the digital version. Uh, unless I picked it up at like a 50 cent sale recently. Like I picked up a ton of Secret Origins and DC Comics Presents and stuff like that at a 50 cent sale. Or actually, a quarter bin sale not too long ago. So those are all handy. But um, for the, mostly doing digital. I love digital. I've fallen in love with it. It took the right tablet to do it, or at least the right size tablet for me. And I tried it with a 7-inch tablet. It wasn't working. I got an 8-inch tablet. You know, 1 inch more shouldn't make the difference, but, you know, that's what all the girls <laughs> that's say. That's what she said, yeah. So the 8-inch tablet made all the world a difference, and I read Marvel Unlimited on it every day. I mean, it's, it, I, I, I've been keeping track of the Marvel Unlimited comics I've been reading because Michael Bailey and I are supposed to record a podcast. <laughs> That'll happen. Um, and I think I've read something like 150 comics on Marvel Digital Unlimited since April. I haven't read 150 comics. I didn't read 150 comics all of 2014. You know, it's, it's just insane how many comics I've read through this thing. That's where I'm reading Spider Island, by the way, right now. And uh, it's I definitely, I'm a huge fan of the digital. So whenever, go digital whenever you can. Unless you purposely want to cover the ads, then you're going to have to get the physical one. Uh, Little Russell Burbage commented on the uh, Whatever Happened to stories. He wasn't a big fan of some of these, but he said his favorites were Sandman, Sandy, and the Crimson Avenger stories. Well, the Crimson Avenger story is one of the greatest superhero stories ever written. So, yeah, that's an easy one. Uh, Diablo Frank says uh, he sent in a bunch of comments regarding this issue, but then he throws in off topic. I just looked over to see the February March issue of ARP magazine sitting in a basket with Bob Dylan on the cover. <laughs> Thank you. That's a great interview, Frank. That's one of the best Dylan interviews he's ever done. So for uh, AARP, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I, I don't think he likes being interviewed by music magazines because they ask him stuff that's not related to music and in the ARP the guy just talked about music and I think it was clear that Bob really enjoyed his talking music so it's a great interview how bizarre yep. so I think it's funny that Frank has copies of AARP laying around his house though 
It's what you you saw what he looked like. Did you? What? How old is he? I signed a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, I, I can't say right. anything. Right. So, uh, on the episode 129, which was the Doctor Fate episode, where we covered the Marty Pascal and Walt Simonson issue, that was me and Kyle Benning. Man, I love that comic so much. So Kyle followed up uh, our discussion. He says, "I checked with because we had a discussion about the screaming mummy aspect. He's wondering about that being based in reality." So he says, I, uh, Kyle says, I checked with Walt Simonson yesterday about the screaming mummy thing for Kalis, the, the mummy, always having his mouth open. He said it's possible that that was his inspiration, but he said he did a lot of research before tackling the issue because he wanted to bring in as much Egyptian look and feel to the art. So he said it was possible that he had found you know, this, this history about mummies having their mouth open, but he doesn't specifically remember doing that. This is also Shag mentioned in the episode that he'd love to see the story get an IDW artist edition treatment. Well, Walt informed me on Facebook that the story has, in fact, already received the artist edition treatment. The story is included in the Walt Simonson Manhunter and Other Stories artist edition. So you can get that at the time you wrote this, you can get a, you could get an in stock trades. I haven't double checked if it's still out there, but it was uh, it was at a pretty significant discount. It was only one hundred and twenty five dollars. That's with free shipping. It's one hundred and seventy six pages of scanned art directly from Walt's original pages. It's gorgeous at eleven by seventeen oversized and has all the editor's notes and everything. So if you're a Walt Simonson purist, man, it sounds like you've got to own that. That does sound like a beautiful book. It really does. It really does. Um, and, and seeing those pages without color would be fascinating. It really would. Because those, those, I don't know, if you, I'm sure you've read this Dr. Fate story um, that Walt Simonson and Marty Pascoe did, right? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's some of the most beautiful pages that he's ever done. They're and Simon, Simonson's stuff looks great in black and white because he did a lot of stuff for the black and white magazines. So his oh, stuff cool. holds up really well in black and white. Nice. Uh, Jeff Nelton wrote in goes that Immortal Doctor Fate miniseries was actually the Baxter format, not the new format, as uh, I had said on the show. The new format was introduced later with cheaper paper, but it was still white rather than standard newspaper newsprint. You know, I'm glad he brought that up because I kind of forgot there was a difference between the Baxter format and the yes, new format. Yes, I had completely forgotten that. Wow, how the years. Years aren't kind. Um, and as far as his reprint books, like the Immortal Doctor Fate, he goes on to mention that there was, there's been similar, there's other similar ones at the time, like the Roots of Swamp thing, the Dead Man reprints, the Manhunter reprints, and the New Gods reprints. Oh, those would all be fun to get. I love stuff in the that you know Baxter paper format. Oh, it's gorgeous. Uh, he says, in regards to '70s comics, you '80s punks were just ignorant. <laughs> the, the '70s ruled. Bronze Age represent. Now it's funny when I first read that sentence, I got, I was like, what is he talking about? Because I was like, I love the 70s. I always talk about the 70s. I grew up in the 70s. My favorite, my favorite album is from the 70s. My favorite TV show is from the 70s. Most of my favorite movies are from the 70s. Then I realized this was the episode that you did with Kyle, so he wasn't even talking to me. So I'm okay Correct. with He's all He's talking this. to me and Kyle. Yes, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with this criticism now. He well, says, he got in our case about the 70s TV shows, the same thing. He did. Well, that's okay. But he says, there was a tremendous diversity in the first half with a lot of experimentation. At Marvel, it was largely due to the inmates running the asylum. You got stuff like Jim, Car- Jim, Jim Starlin's trippy cosmic stuff in Captain Marvel and Warlock. Doug Menich's Menich, I forget it. I know you say that name. Master of Kung <laughs> Fu with Bruce Lee and James Bond blended together. There was Kill Raven and Deathlock for dystopian futures. Conan gave a sword and sorcery. They played around with the Pulp Hero revival, sci-fi adventure, westerns, literature, and gold needs and nostalgia. DC did some of the same, although with tighter editorial control. Comics like First Issue Special operated on the fringes and gave us some interesting ideas that weren't pursued, like Dr. Fate, though at least he got a backup series. Mike Wells' Warlord, one of DC's best sellers of the 70s, was launched there, as was Jerry Conway's New Gods revival, which paled compared to both the original and Inglehart Rogers' Mr. Miracle. The Michael Thomas Starman debuted there, but the story wouldn't be picked up until the James Robinson series 20 years later. Kirby's Manhunter carried over Englehart's Justice League, where he was tied into the Green Lantern Manhunters and then became the privateer and the star Tsar. 
Very cool. So just uh, get off Jeff's lawn. So, right. um, he says, I love Simonson's art on this, including the Egyptian motifs. Simonson was a breath of fresh air in this period, bringing some of the Kirby's dynam- gy- dynan- dynamism? dynamism. Thank you. Mixed with elements of European comics. One of Simonson's influences was Jim Holiday, or Holdaway, artist on the UK strip Modesty Blaze. Before that, Ditko was one of the few artists who really experimented with graphic design. Simon had been pigeonholed on war comics until Archie Goodwin tapped him for Manhunter. Huh. Um, yeah, that the Egyptian motifs he put into that uh, that first issue special with uh, Doctor Fate is amazing. Ange went on to say, "This is one of those issues that I think everyone who's ever read it has to love it. It's just about perfect. In fact, I loved it so much that I reviewed it over on Frank's DC Bloodlines blog, and he gives you URL it's dcbloodlines.blogspot.com, and then just look for Doctor Fate." He says, "As I have said, I uh, probably so many times it sounds like I'm bragging, but I have this issue signed by both Joe Kubert and Walt Simonson." Mm. Um, Ange, I meant to ask, by the way, please send me your address. I need to um, send a couple of guys to pick up something. You also need to know when he's working at the hospital. So you right. Know when we need to know when you're busy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Earth 2 Chris writes, I was a big Dr. Fate mark as a kid, and I think it all came down to the look. I was perplexed by his half-helmet and also squadron, but I'm still happy to see him whenever he showed up. I was really stoked to get that superpowers figure, and yes, he was boss in that second miniseries, which is a lot of fun. Kirby did a nice Dr. Fate. That was because I was talking about that second miniseries. That's where I discovered Dr. Fate in, uh, in comics. So he goes, uh, then I subscribed to the ongoing Dr. Fate, and it was really miffed to find out that Kent Nelson was dead and Naboo was running around in his body. I think DC made a real blunder when they cast Kent and Inza aside right as Dr. Fate was getting popular enough to support his own title. They've continued to screw up the character since. The only time I felt they got it right was when Hector Hall became Fate. They should have just left him there. You know what, Chris? You are absolutely right. They have continually screwed up. Now, don't get me wrong. I've, I've loved almost every era of Dr. Fate for its own merits. However, the fact remains, you know, you hear all this talk about we, we need to get to the iconic versions of the characters. Why the hell can't we get an iconic Dr. Fate? There has never been an ongoing Dr. Fate series about the iconic version of Dr. Fate, which is Kent Nelson with the helmet kicking ass, looking like he did, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, that, that would... It seems like a no-brainer, but they can't produce that comic. They have to do these other people as Dr. Fate. They have to do Kent and Enzo melded together. They have to do the guy who melts the helmet down into a knife. Um, you know, all these other iterations of Dr. Fate, which don't work. And you're right. The closest they ever got was Hector Hall because pretty much he became a guy with Naboo and a helmet doing stuff. They, they got it back to almost the core concept. Um, and that was very good. But then when Jeff Johns left JSA, it's J- Jeff Johns, maybe he doesn't do this as much, but he used to. He used to have this nasty habit. Whenever he left a title, he would take his personal favorite characters off the table. Like when he left JSA, he took Dr. Fate out of the picture and he took uh, our man, Rick, uh, Rick Tyler, out of the picture. So people really couldn't use those characters again, which is kind of a crappy thing to do. And I think that that was a big mistake, and I think Dr. Fate's been suffering since. I've tried the new series. I've read a couple of issues. I have no interest in it. I'm not enjoying it at all. So it's a real bummer because Dr. Fate's an awesome character. Now, some other people make some interesting comments about uh, this, and we're going to keep going. So Michael Kiyoskuro says, Pasco did a wonderful job with Ken Inza's relationship in that one issue special. He made me really feel for Inza, especially um, she was damn right for being annoyed with Kent. Hell yeah. And that was actually one of the things they really tried to put into it in that first issue special I was reading about uh, in the interviews was that Inza was to become a more real character and have some conflict with Kent. And he goes on to say, I have no idea um, 
why, but as I got older, I found it nearly impossible to find the back issues of Dr. Fate. In fact, I never actually seen the Dematisse Giffen miniseries or the Dematisse McManus solo series in back issue bins. Maybe I had low print runs. Um, Michael, yes, I can promise you they did have low print runs. So low, in fact, that they were willing to print my letters in the letters page. Um, I printed in a lot of the Dr. Fate letters pages, so you knew they weren't getting very many letters. By the way, when I met Kyle Benning, Rob, <laughs> he had me actually autograph a couple of issues of Dr. Fate that I had letters in. It's oh, hysterical. my Lord. I know. It's hysterical. <laughs> so I've now given an autograph. Woo-hoo. <laughs> I think I think Kyle's been recording too many podcasts in a garage with the car running. It could be it. It could be it. So uh, Michael goes on to say, I'm intrigued to pick up the new collection coming out later this year. Would you guys recommend it? How are the flashback up stories that made it up a chunk of this new collection? Um, Yes, you should pick up the trade. It's going to be amazing. Um, The the backup stories from The Flash, they are fairly good. They're not amazing. They're not necessarily as good as the Walt Simons and Marty Pascoe issue, but they're still pretty good. There's some weird, trippy-ass stuff in there. But there's some other collected stuff that's going to be in that trade that's going to be worth it. It's going to be hella trade. Definitely pick it up. Uh, we heard from Mark Sweeney Jr. He says, uh, regarding the Dr. Fate episode, this is one of those characters that just grabbed me on looks alone. Another vote for the look. I was first introduced as a seven-year-old to Fate in JLA number 232, the second part of a JLA-JSA team-up. I next saw him in Officer Squadron number 48, and it was hard for my brain to justify his appearance in the sawed-off half-helmet. Still love the character, but there was and still is nothing like that classic lid. Yeah, and Dr. <laughs> and Dr. Fate doesn't look like any other character. I mean, I can't think of another mm-hmm. character that looks like that, really. So it's yeah, that design is just, just perfect, and the color scheme the, that gold and blue is just it's just really one of the best designed characters ever. Yeah, he looks fantastic. Diablo Frank sort of he summarizes a lot, like part of what Mark just said about the look and everything. He says, like most folks, I'm more of a fan of looking at Doctor Fate than reading him. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think there's a lot of people out there with Doctor Fate, like Doctor Fate, like that. Again, to some extent, it's because they haven't been given a sort of iconic version of Doctor Fate to read. Anyway, he goes on to say, I've read some of his Golden Age stories, his secret origin, odd issues of the Dematius miniseries, uh, mini and series, more of the Jared Stevens run than most could tolerate, and various one-offs and guest appearances in team books. I don't care about any of the individual incarnations of the mantle, but I like the idea and the imagery. Good statement. Then uh, moving on to episode 132, which was just kind of a geek talk episode where we talked about Jerry Conway returning to Firestorm. We talked about the Justice League United, just a few other things here and there. Count Druncula, which is Ryan Daly, went on to say, I went right to Stella's wonderful Backworld to Oracle podcast after this episode, and my brain is still trying to claw its... Uh, my brain is still trying to claw its way out of my skull after hearing Shag's She's Hot remix. <laughs> we should play that more often. You know, it's, it's not every day you can get your own theme song. So uh, she did that dubstep version of me saying she's hot. I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Oh, come on. You got no comment on that? No, no, I don't. <laughs> um, heard from Michael Bailey who's from Views in a Long Box from Crisis to Crisis Tales of the JSA and so on and so on uh, he says now if only they do something similar for Superman instead we get Max Landis the current direction in the main books and whatever the hell Neil Adams is doing uh, the one bright spot is Dan Jurgens and Lee Weeks with their six issue miniseries now I don't know if the Lois and Clark thing is a six issue miniseries now I think it may have been announced I think it might be an ongoing so seems to be getting very positive reaction though. all right uh, regarding episode 135, the Marvel Fireside Books Part 1, which was me and Kyle Benning, Earth 2 Chris says, uh, I never looked into these books either, although those covers haunted me from the ads of all the, to- all the time. Uh, I always coveted these and the DC reprint books. Great show, guys. Thank you, Chris. 
Diablo Frank says, Growing up in Texas, comic books had the added stigma of Southern ignorant prejudice. There would be no such material in local libraries. I think you could find the Michael Fleischer encyclopedias and other such text-heavy illustration light reference manuals, but the only thing close to trade paperback was one dear, dear hardcover edition of Jules Pfeiffer's The Comic Book Heroes, which featured select reprints between editorials. I was also prone to checking out comic strip collections like Garfield and Bloom County with the occasional Peanuts or Doonesbury in the mix. I could barely comprehend the latter. It's interesting. When I was a kid in junior high and even in high school, like it was acceptable to be seen reading comic strip collections, but not comic books. I don't know why there was that line, but there was. I knew kids that had like Bloom County books and uh, like um, even Doonesbury and stuff, and like that was not looked down upon. But God help you if you're brought in The Dark Knight Returns. So no, you're right. I mean, yeah. Garfield books sold like crazy, sold yeah. like hotcakes. Uh, I have, I still have my Bloom County collections, actually. Yeah, Calvin right. Hobbes collections, uh, all those. But yeah, yeah comics. Oof, ooh, yep. you weirdo. Yep. Lucien Desar wrote in, this was such a great episode. I never even heard of the Fireside books, but Rob and Kyle presented it in a fun way. I'm now looking on eBay for a cheap copy to read. By the way, did Kyle ever win his eBay bids? He's mentioning that Kyle was literally waiting to bid on a couple of these books while the episode was going. Then Kyle responds, no, unfortunately, I did not. It was an auction that ended really late at night. I ended up falling asleep and missing out. The hunt continues. <laughs> um, I have to mention before we get off this, a very, very generous gift I received from the biases, Aaron and Amy. Right after this episode, they sent me a copy of the Doctor Strange Fireside book that I mentioned that I didn't have. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's sitting here on my shelf, and I really, really appreciate it because it's a beautiful collection of all that ghost stories and stuff. And uh, it's one of those ones I just never got around to buying, and they sent it to me. So thank you very much, guys. That was incredibly nice and generous. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I'm going to follow that up with an incredibly selfish comment um, because I'm irredeemable. Listen to my segment with Chris Franklin a little bit later to hear me mention a Fireside book that I picked up myself. So. Uh, Michael Curascuro said, I cherished the How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way all through my childhood. I still remember my grandfather buying it for me at a convenience store near my grandparents' house when I was visiting them one summer as a kid. I must have been around nine years old, eight or eight years old. So the book had been out of print uh, or had been out for at least five years or more at that time. He saw how excited I was when I discovered the book on the rack. So buying it for me must have been just as happy as it made, uh, made him just as happy as it made me. It was like an invite into a secret Marvel Comics club. I poured over it for years, reading and rereading it any chance I got. I drew and redrew images from the book, following Stan and John's lessons to a T. Thankfully, I still own it to this day, and I still enjoy flipping through it for a window into a different time in Marvel and comics history, and a window into my own childhood. That's awesome. Guys, you are going to win my heart anytime you ever send us stories of your youth with comics. I I always gush over this. Absolutely love it. By the way, I bought my 16-year-old last year. We bought him a copy of the new edition of How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. Fantastic. So, and Bradley Null says, my aunt bought me the superhero women when I was first getting into comics. I wanted to bring on the bad guys. At the time, she thought she, I, I thought she made a mistake. Years later, I found out she thought that the villain book might be a negative influence. <laughs> <laughs> it cracks me up. Um, then we did uh, that episode 137, which is where we talked about, uh, we called it the Aquaman and Firestorm short subjects, which is where we talked about like the short stories. The Aquaman story from Adventure Comics, Firestorm Backups, and Flash. We talked about those for a while. Muko Kuroshiro wrote in. Um, he he had a suggested name for what we could call these segments because I I still putting a call out there. What should we call these short segments? He came up with backstrokes uh, or backdrafts. So all right, there's a good vote. I like it. 
He also wrote, Also, I love both Rob and Chag's enthusiasm over the short stories in the episode, and their snark while poking fun at each other's fave character and the stories in these issues was a real hoot. It's why we all enjoy this podcast so much. You guys bring the joy week after week. That's pretty amazing considering such Shag and I just don't like one another. It's it's amazing we're able to get through that every week. I know. Well, I mean, for the first year, we were really into it. Um, yeah, and then, then it just became tiresome. Well, yeah, it got old. It, it, it fell apart. And I mean, most people don't even know this. We actually record our segments differently, <laughs> separately. Uh, we have an agent that stands in, like, who reads Rob's lines, and then someone reads my line. I guess someone reads my lines for Rob. I don't know. And we have separate recording, recording studios. And then we've got a guy who mixes it all together and makes it sound seamless. But the reality is Rob and I actually haven't carried on a conversation in probably three years. And that's... um. That's for the best, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Well, for Shag's part of the show, I just have loops of somebody going, duh, or she's hot, and we just stitch it together, <laughs> and there we go. We, then we have a show. We call it a day. Uh, <laughs> I'm not laughing at what Rob said. My agent just said something funny, too. Yeah, so. that's great. Earth 2 Chris said, wow, the two of you teeing up to do an Aquaman and Firestorm podcast. Who would have thunk it? I'm telling you, this is going to revolutionize the comic podcasting world. <laughs> I'm not sure how much you can milk out of this, but I'm willing to give it a go. Wow. Chris bringing the snark. We might be able to milk four years out of it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, heard from our buddy Ange. He says, I don't recall my original submission. This is talking about what to call the short segments. He goes, but I think these episodes should be called You Called for Backup or uh, You Called for Backup. You can even co-op Peter Weller saying it as RoboCop. <laughs> and then I talked about um, my theory on the hyena because in the issues, the, hyena, the original issue of Hyena's first appearance, the hyena talked about their, uh, their vibro claws and also talked about the padded suit. So there, it appeared there was a human being inside the hyena suit in the very first appearance in issue number um, four of Firestorm. Whereas by the time we got to the backups, it was actually a were person, an actual transforming. And he says, um, let's see, I'll take the were hyena a thousand times over the padded hyena suit with the vibro claws. <laughs> I do like the summer day, that is summer day, who is painting the town red with blood. Adds a nice wrinkle to the dynamics of the book. He also mentions this is the first time I've seen the Aquaman story, but Captain Demo does indeed look like he should be singing Give Me Back My filet fish <laughs> Apparel can make anything look great, though. Ain't that the truth? It is. It totally yeah. is. Yeah. Regarding episode 138, which was our Blackhawk episode, which I did with Michael Bailey, Earth 2 Chris again. Great show, guys. Although I can't believe that Kirk Allen never came up, given Michael was on the show. The only live-action Blackhawk played by the original screen Superman? Come on! Uh, to, to defend ourselves, we are going to do part two of the Blackhawk show, and it's going to be on views from the long box. And Mike and I plan to get into all that other Blackhawk stuff on that episode. So it, it was left out sort of on purpose. So, Chris, so get off my back. Well, when, when you record it, you can plan for it to be released about eight months later. Exactly. <laughs> I swear the last... I'm going to get the nasty. I swear the last, pe- the last piece of feedback I sent to, to Michael Bailey that he read on the air it ended me with saying uh, Clinton Gore 96. I mean, it was crazy. Oh, my God. You know, he was texting me nasty things earlier tonight. It's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. <laughs> anyway, Chris continues. Oh, and the war reel probably got a who's who listing over Domino because it debuted during the quality years way back in Blackhawk number 56, September 1952. Cockum clearly based his cover on the original and then he sends us the page on DC indexes. Yeah, that's probably true. The War Wheel was part of DC history at that point as opposed to Domino who had come and gone by the time they did Who's Who. Uh, I, little... I, I, I wanted to say I really enjoyed your um, your coverage of uh, the Blackhawks. It sounded really cool. Thank you. I love those comics. Really okay. love those comics. Oh, it, it kept me company on a late night driving through the mountains going south across our country. And uh, I was terrified because it was raining. I thought I was going to f- drive off the mountain. So it was nice to have you guys there with me. 
Oh, very nice. Uh, little Russell Bird, Little Russell Bird from City Alpha Six says, "I echo Chris's <laughs> comments about the Batman and Blackhawks team up and BB." In B&B, one of my all-time favorites and one that I still have even though after I got rid of most of my other BB issues. Uh, somebody just Jimmy. I assume this is Jimmy McGlinchey. Think he so. says, I have never read much Blackhawks apart from the New 52 series. Ugh. And their odd guest appearance at other series. Lady Blackhawk was especially prevalent in a number of series, especially Guy Gardner, Warrior, and Birds of Prey. But hearing Rob and Michael talk about it makes me want to check this out. We'll definitely try and get the Showcase Presents editions of the earlier stories from my collection and hope that hope a TPB for the Evanier Spiegel stories comes out in the near future. I don't see that happening, Jimmy, but uh, we can always hope because they said they are great stories and they would all fit in one one snug little book. What do you think the holdup is? I I just don't – I bet they figure nobody cares. I mean I think that's it. They're not – they're set in the 40s. They're drawn by somebody who's not a particular fan favorite, Dan Spiegel. So I think that's probably most of it. I think they just figured lack of interest. Um, Alex Osias writes, I have to say I was thrilled by the sudden coverage of Blackhawk. It's equal to find out that I have to find more of the WW2 issues of it. Cool. Um, Jeff Nettleson, Jeff Nettleson, Nettleson, Captain 70s, wrote in, Dave Cockrum also did a Blackhawk, (laughs) Dave Cockrum also did a Blackhawk pastiche and Marvel fanfare with a character called Skywolf, which was also in the name of a Hillman Comics Blackhawk knockoff. Cockrum was an Air Force vet and was a huge Blackhawk fan. It was a shame they never got an extended run with the characters, although he did some of the backups. I remember Skywolf because I used to buy every issue of Marvel fanfare. It's funny, I haven't thought about that in decades probably, but yeah, Jeff's completely right. He says, don't know if you guys have seen this, but in 1982, there was a Blackhawk novel by William Rotzler. Rotzler was a pulp sci-fi author as well as a writer in the adult film industry. <laughs> That's an odd career. <laughs> they, need, they need those. He pens a pretty decent adventure or series of adventures as there are about three major episodes and even throws in a pulpy dominatrix with a massive flying fortress. Paul Levitz even turns up as a character as an industrialist who helps supply the Blackhawks with spare parts for their Grumman FX. XF-5 Skyrockets. He also plays Blackhawk Isle near the Oriskany Islands. Uh, that's funny. After this episode that I did with Mike, I actually bought that novel off of Amazon. And as pathetic as this is to admit, I have not yet finished it. The damn thing is only like 130 pages. And it's been sitting on my shelf. I called it the um, uh, Irredeemable Shag Memorial Bookshelf. And I just have not finished it yet. Uh, it's really... <laughs> Wait a minute. Why? <laughs> Why is it called that? It's in it's in memory of you. The bookshelf? Yeah. Because it's, it's full of stuff that's not been read. Oh, that's a funny. I get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what I've read so far is pretty interesting. Uh, I just haven't finished it yet. It's really sad that I haven't read such a thing. I used to read a lot more. I, I've gotten bad at that. but And I promised Mike Bailey that once I finished it, that I would send it to him. But at this rate. Again, Ouch. it'll be in five years before he gets it. So my apologies. You probably get that man from Atlantis comic from me before he gets that. <laughs> probably. And by the way, there's probably not any pictures in it, which is making it so hard for you to read, I'm sure. So um, her friend buddy, Mark Sweeney Jr., which, by the way, I discovered he actually runs a blog uh, called the Messenger Attack Tumblr. So that's worth checking out. Anyway, he goes, uh, black, this Blackhawk stuff, he goes, this is my introduction to Dan Spiegel's art, which I always thought inhabits a space somewhere between Alex Toth's work and Joe Staten's. A mix of realism, equipment and vehicles, and when necessary, pure cartooning with exaggerated faces and figures. Just prior to his work on Blackhawk, Spiegel got an aviation warm-up working on the enemy ace balloon buster feature in the back of Unknown Soldier, as did John Severin. Huh. Do you know that? No, I did not. Very cool. 
Then we've got coverage here on episode 139, which covered Thrill Killer, Batgirl and Robin, which was the Howard Shake and Dan Brandon story. And that was an episode, uh, thankfully, without Rob, it had me and Stella. And so uh, lots of feedback on this one. Zoom Rickonori, uh, Zoom Yukonori wrote in and says, I myself had always thought Bianca Steeplechase bared a resemblance to Joan Crawford, but that might just be me. Now, we uh, stipulated in the series, you know, as the way Burton had drawn Steeplechase, which was, by the way, the female version of Joker uh, in the 1940s, where, like, or uh, sorry, the 1960s. I, she looked familiar, but couldn't place it, couldn't place it, couldn't place it, and sure enough, that's it. It's Joan Crawford. That's obviously who we used as the photo reference. Um, thank you for that. There's a few other people that submitted that as well over other social media, but thank you. Ange uh, wrote in, he goes, you certainly did a great job reviewing it. I have to agree that this is a pretty tight story with a limited cast, but with the landscape of the 1960s, it feels bigger. It certainly reads like a chicken book with a literal bend. I'm sorry, liberal bend, the sexy females, and the downbeat ending. The fact that the criminal gets away and half of the heroes is dead is odd. As for sales, this is an Elseworlds that got a sequel. You can probably count those on one hand. I also thought the 1962 sequel was a bit of a letdown compared to this. Or two, Chris wrote in, poor Stella. I appreciate you stopping by the show, but having to spend time in Shag's presence? I pray for your soul. Thrill Killer seemed like a big deal when it came out, and I bought all the issues off the stands, yes, even the 62 sequel, and really enjoyed it at the time. I like Brereton's stuff, although I think sometimes his faces are very similar, even across gender lines, which makes things a bit awkward, because he really knows how to paint the female form. Uh, my only other knock is in his Batman costume. The thigh-high boots? Really? It's like the Earth 2 Batman raided his daughter's closet. Like Shag, it was kind of weird to find the Joker hot, but there she was. One panel that always jump out at me is Babs holding Dick after the circus fall. There's a perfect panel that typifies their whole relationship. The more forceful Babs and the much weaker Dick we see here. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point. That, that panel does sort of sum up the relationship. Jimmy, again, we assume that's McGlinchey, responded also saying, excellent show. I remember seeing the house ads for Thrill Killer series in DC Comics at the time. It was put off by the art and the price, and so I did not get them. Having seen Brereton's art in other series, especially the one-off JLA 7 caskets, I'd be more inclined to get it now, and especially so after hearing you and Stella talk about it. Thank you. We appreciate that. Stella and I had a really good time recording that. That was fun. Tabu Frank says, I like Stella and I like Shag. But Stella and Shag's a bit like mixing candy corn with cake icing. I don't understand. Are we super and sweet? I don't know what it means either. I just like it. I'll have you know, Stella and I make a good combination. In fact, most of the time Rob's been talking tonight, I've actually been texting with Stella, so I haven't been paying attention to anything Rob's been saying. Uh, he said, you should have been telling us what happened in the 1962 series because withholding that actually makes you feel like uh, – I'm sorry. Holding that something <laughs> – Withholding that information makes something you both hate alluring, though without uh, though being forbidden. In other words, by not saying it, we made him more interested in finding out what it was about. And so feel free to track that down, buddy. You will be disappointed. Although Jeff Nettleton doesn't think so. He says, I've encountered Stella, but uh, I hadn't encountered Stella before, and she was a delight. Her voice vaguely reminds me of Patricia Stevens, who voiced Velma on the later 1970s Scooby-Doo shows. Nice rapport between the two of you. And Shag, well, did I mention what a delight Stella was? Anyway, goes, I bought Thrill Killer when it came out. Uh, all I had to do was see Howard Shaken and Dan Burton, and I was there. They could have been doing Brother Power the Geek, and I would have been on board. Shaken is always good with period detail and crime and mystery. Burton excels at it, especially crime and weird twist. That was perfect. I have to depart a bit from your opinion on the follow-up to Thrill Killer. I thought it was quite, uh, quite up to the same standard, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. Mostly, I was happy to revisit the world. <laughs> there we go. Uh, regarding episode 140, which was the dead man in Should Old Acquaintances Be Forgot, which I did with Ange. Which so, apparently you forgot earlier tonight because you couldn't say Ange had been on our show. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? Ange and I have talked about him coming on Film and Water, and I just got all confused. So 
Sorry. It's easy. It happens. Zoom Yukinori says, what I particularly like about Dick Giordano's depiction of Kara in the story was that he incorporated the Superman spit curl into her hairstyle, which didn't click for me until the final page reveal. I didn't even notice that until I had to go back and look, but Zoom is right. I never, I never noticed that. Uh, Earth 2 Chris says, great to hear a bit of the Brennard interview with the end. Also fantastic in that it is in print and back issue. I'm not trying to get a raise on my power record salary when I say, <laughs> you know, any number times zero is zero. When I say it's one of the best interviews ever run in back issue, which was which has no shortage of great, no shortage of great interviews. Thank you, Chris. Of course, I really enjoyed uh, getting to do it, and I love having my name on anything involving with Alan Brennard. <laughs> I, I was super excited about that interview for you, Rob. I really was. In fact, my daughter is attracted to that issue because of the Supergirl cover. She keeps asking me about it. I, I didn't even think about pointing out to her that you have the article in there. I should. Yeah, I'm really, really proud of that. And I'm just happy that, that Alan would allow me to sort of be the, the person to, to present his his interview to the world. So it was very, very nice. Uh, Count Druncula, Ryan Daly says, I remember getting to the end of the story and thinking, wow, the long coat really concealed Power Girl's giant breasts. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful story and a wonderful episode, although I must say, after Shag's numerous complaints at the Secret Origins podcast poached Fire and Water's audience, it seems like the payback is Rob stealing my guests. Fair enough. I was on the road quite a bit, and Rob needed some fill-ins, so we got some great folks to come on the show while I was gone. So thanks to Ange and Michael Bailey and, uh, oh, geez, who else am I forgetting? Mike Gillis and a bunch of folks who stepped in. Kyle Banning. Kyle Benning, while I was on the road. Thank you very much. Speaking of me being on the road, we got feedback on our World Tour episodes. Uh, to start with, our episode where Rob and I were actually together, locked in Gene Hendricks' basement in New Jersey. He said, uh, Earth 2 Chris wrote about that episode saying, I love hearing the heartfelt stories. Isn't it a bit ironic that Rob had no problem doing a friendly home invasion on a couple of old ladies, but wouldn't ask a store owner about purchasing one of his fixtures? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Rob invaded this, these old ladies' rented cabin in the Poconos. Didn't mind, just barged his way right in. But then, tell, right immediately afterwards, tells us a story how he was just made up a huge fictitious lie about buying a spinner rack for some guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Count Dracula. You're a mess, Rob. Kondrakula says this was a fun episode, though a mere taste of Gene pretending to be your father shouting down the stairs wasn't nearly enough. You three should have run with that angle for the entire episode. As you've as you've heard, Ryan, I can't act worth a crap. I really can't. My acting is at its porno level. So I, I anything where Shag Shag has proposed that every so often of like doing like an along an ongoing bit, and I can never sustain it. I just I just can't do it. So that's why we didn't do it. Which is evident in our trailer. If you've heard our trailer. Where yeah, I, I'm I, terrible. Yeah. Rob's just like, okay, Shag. I can't <laughs> turn, do it. I'm terrible. Turn I, the page. Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely own up to that. I'm, I'm a terrible – I think I have a lot of skills, but acting is not one of them. So that's you know all. What that, that's nice. Then it just knows that you're always honest with me, and when you're not, I can tell. Okay. Tim Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Wallace, Tim Wallace says, uh, you, you, "I'm glad you think that." Tim Wallace, I remember a week, summer of 1990, that I spent on a friend's family boat. It was four of us and the one guy's dad. We had a blast. I remember docking one day in some little town along the Chesapeake Bay and walking into a local drugstore to grab drinks and snacks and walking out with a couple of now comics married with children and real Jeez. Ghostbusters issues. I was surprised they had something other than standard DC Marvel Archie fair and couldn't resist them. And then Earth 2 Chris responded to that. The drugstore up the street from me carried now comics like those you mentioned and Green Hornet, which I bought, and Ralph Snart, which my future brother-in-law bought. I'm not sure how they got newsstand distribution, but they did. He's right. I remember yeah. that yeah, now. Remember that now too. comics yep. were out there, yeah. Yep. Yep. 
Jabu Frank says, I didn't have a Mountain Comics and trips to the Poconos so much as a newsstand and the only st- is the only stability in my young life and camping out without lights or running water because the bills didn't get paid. <laughs> Ouch. It's a hard knock life for us. <laughs> uh, I just have this picture of him being living in Annie's orphanage. And- <laughs> I'm now going to sing in every episode ever since David Gutierrez suggested it. I can't do that either, but I'm still going to do it. I, I can't figure out whether I want uh, Carol Burnett or um, or Cameron Diaz to be his drunk orphanage mother. <laughs> I think the Carol Burnett would produce more friction. So let's go. With Probably, that. but I, I don't know. If, I don't know if you've seen the remake. I, enjoy, no. I thoroughly enjoyed the remake. I really did. And uh, Cameron Diaz is actually great as uh, as the drunk orphanage lady. Um, Zumi Kanori, I'm not going to read his email, but he wrote this very – I talked about growing up in Traverse City, Michigan, and then how I went back there one summer and this sort of crazy story about how I went to the comic book store that was now in a guy's garage. And Zoom wrote in what appears to be someone just following me around with a camera, um, a story all about Traverse City and this, that comic shop and the experiences this friend of his had. And they – the, like the location, like he's describing everything to such detail, I can picture all of it because I've lived a lot of it. It was it was quite amazing. So thank you for that. And yes, you you nailed Tal- Traverse City perfectly. So well done. I can't believe that's a real city. That sounds like a DC city. Traverse City. It that's does. A, that doesn't it does. sound like a real place. Yeah. Yeah. Where I was born. It wasn't like Hawkman Hawkman from there or something. It's actually it's actually beautiful. It's a resort town. So I moved from a resort town in Michigan to Florida. I had no idea what living in a regular city is like for you, poor schlubs. Sorry. Uh, Bradley Knoll writes in, I love the overly complicated set of steps Rob went through to get his spinner rack. It should be redone as a kid's book. <laughs> uh, in Rob's mind, a tail did grow. I'll say from Ohio. And with that plan of attack, he got himself a spinner rack. Or maybe not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's halfway written right there. You're going to have to credit Bradley Knoll in credits, though. Yeah, we'll, we'll get Eric Carl to draw it. Uh, Jose Rivera writes in, Hey guys, I was listening to the recent episode with Gene Hendricks about where you got your comics growing up and taking them with you on trips. Sadly, my family never really went on vacation, so I can't say I have those great stories that Rob has, but I clearly can remember how I got comics growing up. When my family lived with my grandparents, we got comics at the corner store bodega from the magazine rack. There were two sections dedicated to comics, and I remember the top two slots were saved for bagged three-packs. I got a lot of those, but now that my parents probably more realized we were getting the same three-packs all the time. Aww. Needless to say, I ended up with a lot of copies of Marvel Tales starring Spider-Man number 225, <laughs> a.k.a. the death of Captain Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a sad. I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> it's, it's a sad, happy story. <laughs> I just like that. It's like you know, there were so many famous deaths in Spider-Man that he could have gotten that are more exciting, but no, he gets the death of Captain Stacy. Oh, <laughs> well, really, he could have gotten the Green Goblin one or the or the Gwen Stacy one, but the death of Captain Stacy. Like, oh, wow, how exciting! Yeah, well, he probably has fond memories of that comic, considering how many I'm copies. I'm sure he, he does. Sure uh, in the next Nuclear Sub World Tour was episode 136 where I visited with Stella and Tom Panarese and then Keith G. Baker. Count Drunkula writes in goes, there's no reason for Shag and I to ever meet because I've talked quite a bit about getting to meet Ryan and, and the court orders that would be necessary afterwards. Because there's no reason for Shag and I to meet because our conversation would sound a lot like your conversation with Keith and Tom. 
I agree with almost everything Keith said about Crisis and its desire to see Earth-1 resurrected, not DC's Earth-1 graphic novels, which read like John's and Straczynski's unproduced movie scripts, but return to a pre-Crisis satellite-era DC universe. Yeah, Keith had some really strong opinions that are just cracked me up about how everything is wrong and everyone needs to go back to pre-Crisis and that's just all there is to it. He was an absolute hoot to hang out with, by the way. Stella and Tom were as well, but Keith was just like, he was off his rocker. <laughs> Uh, Earth 2 Chris wrote in, so Shag, does, so Shag goes on tour to tell people their comic preferences are wrong? Kind of a non-motivational speaker. <laughs> that about sums it up. Uh, Chris says, I agree with Keith and Ryan. I'd like to see DC publish at least a few series set in the pre-crisis universe. I don't hate Crisis like Keith. And while I agree post-crisis DC produced some exciting and engaging comics, I do think it was a misstep to scrap the multiverse. DC's been scrambling for an identity ever since. Um, that is Chris's opinion. Uh, not one that I subscribe to. In fact, I mentioned to you at the end of this episode, you're going to hear Chris and I. Uh, we're going to go through some old house ads and stuff like that. We're going to have some fun with that. However, if you tune in to the Supermates podcast next Thursday, folks, that's right, tune in Supermates podcast next Thursday, you're going to hear the flip side of that where Chris and I have a discussion, Kyle Benning style, in his car, and we debate the merits of crisis. So whether crisis was, uh, should have happened or not, and it's a pretty good discussion, I, I think. So I, I was full of uh, Mongolian barbecue at the time, so I may have been high on life, and I don't know. But I seem to recall it was a pretty decent discussion. So check that out, Superman podcast. And uh, along these lines, you write, nice discussions with all the guests. I look forward to your next few stops, Shag. Looks like you may be coming to near, oh, oh no. Okay, I may need to schedule an impromptu vacation and get the hell out of Kentucky in September. <laughs> Actually, he drove all the way from his town to Lexington to hang out with me, and we spent the whole afternoon together at a comic shop and eating, as I said, the bar- Mongolian barbecue, and we just had a great time. Uh, such a nice guy, Chris. Really enjoyed hanging out with him. Uh, Darren Sutherland wrote in. He goes, thoroughly enjoyed your latest World Tour episode. Very fun to hear you, two diehard fans like you and Keith discuss Firestorm. Sounded like you were in a bar, so I kept expecting a bar fight to bake, break out. Um, actually, I had to cut that audio. Yeah, Keith and I got into fisticuffs over the whole Earth One controversy, and uh, it was better off just cut because a lot of it was just glass shattering and Keith crying was mostly what that was. So it's better left on the cutting room floor. When I hear you talk about Keith and you and Keith getting in a fight, I'm picturing the Girl Scouts fighting an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Uh, Roger Preeb uh, wrote in, he goes, What I learned today, Firestorm was in Showcase Comics in the 90s. Now, off to Comic Book Database to find out which issues they were. <laughs> Roger's a big Firestorm fan. Uh, Luke Dobb wrote in, Fun episode. It's great hearing the voices of the Fire and Water podcast community. If you ever in Chicago area, hit me up for a world tour part two. I can't tell you how hard I tried to work that Chicago trip. Um I really pushed on the clients hard to make that trip happen. <laughs> it did not come together. But damn, I, was, I am bound to determine on my bucket list, one of them is to meet Luke Dobb. So uh, I want him to sing a song for me. So. <laughs> then uh, over on episode 142, which is the, again, we're in the nuclear sub-world tour section. This was the episode with Doug Zawisha, where, we, where he took me and locked me up in his basement. And we talked about the, uh, the, the what am I trying to say, uh, Roger Stern and Tom Lyle Starman. Uh, Earth 2 Chris wrote in and said, great to hear Doug again on the show, and I really enjoy his Hawkman companion. Great, great book. I jumped in with issue one of the Stern Lyle Starman, but I didn't stick around too long. I enjoyed it, but it just wasn't really lighting my comic reading world. I did get those David Knight issues later, and I enjoyed how Robinson tied him into the series. Uh, If only there was a podcast covering Robinson's Starman series. Oh, wait. 
That's right. Uh, check out Earth 2 Chris's Supermates podcast. Him and Cindy are actually covering the James Robinson Starman stories. So definitely we're checking out. They just released a, a new one recently. Uh, and by the way, Chris, now with your feelings on modern-day comics, I bet if you were to go back and reread the Stern and Lyle Starman comic, you would find a lot of what you're missing from modern-day comics and would enjoy that. Kyle Benning wrote in, he goes, I love the, world, uh, the Will Payton Starman series by Stern and Lyle. Came across that pretty early age and just devoured it. Looking at it in hindsight, it seems to fill the same sort of niche or target demographic for DC that Firestorm originally did when he launched. He fills the role of DC Spider-Man, a younger hero who accidentally happens across his powers and has to balance those with mysterious new powers with the stresses of life as a man in his early 20s. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It did feel like a new Firestorm. You're, you're absolutely right, Kyle. Good call. Mark Baker wrote, said, Mike, Mark Baker, it's really late, folks. Mark Baker Wright said, My experience with the Will Payton Starman was pretty limited, but I thought it was worth noting that he played an important role in the Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite storyline, which not only introduced a novel concept for the Red K, which was sadly ignored ever afterward, but culminated in the engagement of Clark and Lois Lane. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up, Mark. I forgot about that. That was actually the storyline that turned me into a regular Superman reader. I read that issue because the the crisis of Crimson Kryptonite. I was stunned by the engagement when it happened, and I stuck with Superman for probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years after that. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Then uh, the next nuclear sub episode, which had a dozen different nuclear subs. I kid you not, a dozen of them. Uh, we heard from Ashton Burge, who was actually uh, one of the folks from the Bad Man Pajamas who appeared in that episode with the new theme. He said, awesome, we need to do this again. It was a blast. Let me tell you, I had a fantastic... Fantastic time hanging out with Ashton Burge and Daniel Cynical Adams. They took me to an amazing barbecue place that I'm, I'm like, my mouth is watering right now and I'm full because I ate a bunch of food before we recorded, but my mouth is still watering because it was so good. I just, the thought of it was delicious. And then we had a great time hanging out. It's great guys. They're, they're, we're, we're talking about trying to hook up for a comic convention in the future. I hope that happens. Mark Baker Wright said, when you start talking about the Marvel Transformers comic, you're playing in my sandbox. To answer your query about uh, the switch from the four-issue miniseries to an ongoing, they definitely did make a big deal about that. At the end of issue four, which still proclaimed number four in a four-issue miniseries on the cover, just as the Autobots seemed to be on the verge of victory, Shockwave showed up out of nowhere to blast them. The words, not the end, appeared in the final caption. You know, I, now that you say all that, Mark, I absolutely remember that. That's right. So very cool. Love those Transformers early issues. Boston Moss wrote in, because uh, we talked about Guilty Pleasures in that episode, because Guilty Pleasures chalked me up as another Captain Carrot fan. They're a hoot. One that I really miss reading is The Little King. Now, I haven't heard of this comic, Rob. Have you? No. Nope. Little King. Okay. As we said, he, he goes on to say, we found a box in the attic of the house we moved, to, moved into in the early 70s, and it had about a dozen old comics, uh, Richie Rich, The Little King, Atomic Mouse, and some forgotten animal comics. The Little King was perfect for a kid just learning to read. Hmm. I never heard of that. Then Bradley Knoll, we made some disparaging remarks about Red Tornado because little Russell Burbridge said he liked Red Tornado. So Bradley Knoll says, love all the crying androids. So he's not a mort. I don't care if Vision is better at it. That's all. <laughs> uh, regarding, we have some things on just general discussion. Uh, Matthew Thomas Cody, who is on Twitter at Beware the Madman, he says, at Aquaman Tron, Firestone fan, this nuclear sub is still in the shallow end, but has a set of course to catch up. Hashtag FW Podcast. Full steam ahead. I like full steam ahead. Has anybody used that yet? I don't think so. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Jason Marconet from Heroes and Hops Video Show. He says, you're the Riggs and Murtaugh of podcasts. You can decide who's who. I, we are, <laughs> I'm we are. i clearly the Murtaugh of this. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Because Danny Glover spends four films shaking his head at 
At, oh no! Wait, that, yeah, at Riggs. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm the Mel Gibson character. Yeah, yes, that's right. I absolutely. forget that. I forget who was who on the, those yeah, movies. You're right. Um, Real, and, by the way, that the Hops and uh, the Heroes and Hops video show it is on hiatus currently, but check it out. You can still find them out on YouTube. It's a fun show. And Jason's a local guy uh, that lives here in, in the same town as me. Nice guy. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> we got uh, Buck Rowlett. Buck Rowlett wrote Rob and Shag. You guys cracked me up. Just finished the episode, Buck Rowlett, and I lost count of how many times you said my name, Buck Rowlett. Totally made my day. Well, thanks. <laughs> We're happy to happy to make you happy, Buck Rowlett. In, re- <laughs> in reference to being published in Letters Page of Comics, I can say that one time, Buck Rowlett, I was published that they did not make any changes to my email. As I, as I got into I can't do it. You, you're better at that than me. I, I'm just going to read it straight. As I got into reading comics, the letters page were non-existent or very rare. 2006 featured a few comics with a letters page, so I never had a reason to write into a publisher. When DC brought back the letters page in 2011, I did email in twice about the Green Lantern books, and I got published in the back of a Green Lantern Corps 60, and I'm very proud of that, Buckerlet. Very cool. So he did get published in a letter, and he didn't get any alterations. Now, to be fair, that was the revamp of the letters pages. Not the original run, so it might be interesting to find out the differences there. Because I have heard of a lot of folks that said their letters got tweaked. Buck Rillette <laughs> should be proud of that. Buck Rillette. Heard from our buddy Canada Clark. He says, uh, I picked up this piece of original artwork at the Phoenix Comic Con a couple weeks ago. I told him I would love to see a Firestorm kitty, so here it is. He's totally meowsing. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and I know it's a bad pun, but I couldn't help myself. So the, the URL is sideways 8 Studios. And uh, he drew this really adorable uh, kitty as Firestorm. It's it's adorable. It's adorbs, as my daughter would say. Ben Gilmore says, uh, hi, my name is Ben Gilmore. Apparently he's like Buck Rillette. He likes to hear his name. Uh, as you probably have guessed, this is my first time emailing and sending anything to you guys. So he actually he wrote us this extremely long letter, which is fantastic. Just lots of thoughts and bullet points and questions. So we're just going to read pieces of it. He, uh, he talks about how much he likes Aquaman, which I don't know why he wasted that effort. But then he goes on to say Firestorm, on the other hand, I had no idea he even existed. My introduction into the DC universe as a kid was Bruce Timm's animated universe. To my knowledge, Firestorm never appeared in any of those shows. Ben, you're absolutely correct. Firestorm never appeared in any of those shows. Uh, even the times I had ventured into the comic book store, I can, never came across a Firestorm comic. How, that's so sad. However, Shag's enthusiasm and passion for the character has been infectious and has helped propel Firestorm into being in my top ten favorite comic characters. Woo! Welcome aboard, Ben. That's fantastic. He writes, I'm a broke college student, so when I say as soon as I get the money, it means as soon as I get the money, don't immediately spend it on something substantial to eat. So probably Christmas. <laughs> uh, he also says, starting your message, uh, quoting us, starting your message with, meanwhile, at the Hall of Doom, is this your far way to get your message read right on the air? Really? Well, let me just change my first line to you guys. And, of course, he did, in fact, start his email with, meanwhile, at the Hall of Doom. Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's hysterical. It's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably why I read the whole thing. Uh, the interview you guys had on the show, the interviews you guys have on the show are always fun to listen to. My personal favorite is the Nick Carty interview. May he rest in peace. You know, Rob, uh, as much as it pains me to say anything nice to you, that was a really nice interview with, with Nick. Uh, really not so much because of you, just because you just like, you wind up Nick and just let him go. Yeah. Oh, and, no, uh, I don't take any wonderful. credit for that. <laughs> I don't think any credit for that interview at all, other than the fact I had the guts to call him. So I'm glad I And if, if somehow, you know, you're a newer listener and you've never heard the Nick Carty interview, go back and listen to it. He's so charming. I mean, I just, it's like you fall in love with the guy. You can't help it. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, he also writes, one thing that I found with your podcast is what a lot of duos I see that when they're on their own or with other guests, they aren't as interesting because they are so used to working with that one person. However, both of you have shown that you can handle this podcast by yourselves or with other people who aren't on regularly, and that's an admirable trait. I think I can safely speak for Shag here when saying that the reason Shag is good with other people and I'm good with other people is because we're sort of kind of hoping someone else will eventually jump in. Yeah. You know, we're sort of like auditioning people, so I think that's kind of how that works out. I mean, I went skydiving for my 40th birthday with the full intention of dying just so I could get out of the show. And you see, it didn't work. So. You weren't the only one that had that intention. <laughs> uh, he says, I wonder if either of you talked about the DC bombshells. I picked up the second issue as it had Wonder Woman and Mera on the cover, and I thought it was pretty interesting. On top of that, it showed Mera without Arthur, and as much as I love him, I know that, I'm having, I know that having characters in different situations is the best way to show that they're multifaceted characters, as Mera, of course, is. You know, that's an interesting thought. Um, I have gravitated towards the bombshell issues for obvious reasons because I'm a perv. And, um, but they look interesting uh, in addition to the women being smokingly hot. So I think that might be worth picking up in trade and reading. And it's maybe we should talk about it at some point, Rob. I'll yeah, I agree. This is that, that's, I don't know why I haven't gotten it because it's right in my wheelhouse and that it's got Mira in it. And, I, I like of all the eras of women that I mean I like ogling women just as much as Shag. I'm just quieter about it. But uh, of, <laughs> of of all the eras that I enjoy the most, that like to me gets gets my voltage is 40s women. Like that's my favorite thing. I am sure that if I believe if I believe in reincarnation, I don't know if I do, but if I do, I absolutely was alive in the 30s and 40s, and I was just banging women left and right back then. So I am positive of that. But <laughs> so you would think that. Uh, which is clearly I'm paying for that life now right? uh, in this new incarnation. But, uh, yeah, I don't know why I haven't read that book. I, I mean, I've, I've heard good things, and I love Mira as a solo act, and I love 40s women, so I, I don't know why. I think I just need to just break down and just get it. I think we're looking at a trade purchase. I think we are. I mean, uh, he goes on to say, I, have, I also have to thank you guys for bringing up so many other podcasts and plugging them because it has led me to finding podcasts for other characters I adore. I'm glad to hear that because I continually try to push that into the show and Rob continually forgets and I have to go back and remind him. Wow. The music on this podcast is simply superb. A personal favorite of mine is Luke Dobbs' Child of a Lighthouse Keeper. Yes, that is a wonderful song. I, it is very annoying how talented and handsome Luke is. It's just not fair. His damn hair. His damn he, hair. Yeah, he's got he's got like kind of movie star chiseled looks. It's very <laughs> annoying because it's like normally if somebody – it's kind of like a John Hamm thing because John Hamm is really good looking and really talented. And it's like that's not fair. You know? Right. Like come on. Take – you know? So – I asked him if he's bad at anything and like I don't even think he can be bad at being bad at stuff. Yeah. So. It's, it's very you, annoying. You talk about the songs. My daughter uh, – interesting. We're in the car. You know, she loves to listen to Pandora and stuff like that. It's all bubblegum pop stuff because she's nine. But uh, every so often, like today, even today, we're eating lunch together. She was homesick. And she goes, Daddy, can we listen to some of your Fire and Water songs? And I'm like, really? Oh, she didn't say that. Yes, she did. She asks me regularly. The Firestorm one that Luke did is like her favorite. Absolutely loves it. I kid you not. She thinks they're fantastic. And he did a great job when he was on the Film and Water podcast. That was his first podcast appearance ever. And he was so nervous. And then, like, he did great. So... He's just like naturally good at everything. It's super, super annoying. Yeah, I'm pretty pissed that you did a show with Luke without me. Just saying. I've invited. Never mind. We've been in on this. Before. I've never been invited to be on the film and water. I podcast. absolutely have invited you. When at Rear Window, we talked about this, 
And you were like, you were like, oh, I'm not ready. Blah, blah, blah. It was right after you watched it, and you, and you're like, you, you want to record it. it tomorrow? And I'm like, what? no, this this isn't just a film you just knock off. You got to like have a bunch. Of, the, the damn picture is in your logo. We can't do that half-ass in like I, less than 24 hours preparation. I That's got to be thorough. I should also point out everybody that Chag is in fact scheduled to be on the Film and Water podcast in like four episodes. So I don't know what he's talking about. Never been invited. That's because we're talking about Star Wars. What? That's not even like a real movie. <laughs> It's your turn. Read something. I, I don't know you. <laughs> Finally, I'd like to thank the two of you for the amount of effort. He must be talking to me. You put into this podcast <laughs> and the love you have for your characters. It is incredibly refreshing to have characters celebrated rather than people try to tear down others to make other their favorites look better. I hope, gee, hope you didn't listen to the last episode. On top of that, the effort you go through to thank the supporters and listeners of the family podcast related to the fire and water is simply amazing. I first found this podcast the day after I moved into my dorms for my first year of college. Oh, God, I'm old. And this podcast has been really helpful in helping me transition from high school to college. So thank you a lot for bringing such positive and upbeat podcast into the world. You guys are totally awesome. Wow. That was so nice of my mom to write a letter into the podcast. <laughs> it does have a lot of you know self-gratifying sort of stuff in there, it feels like. But no, <laughs> we, we really appreciate that, Ben. That was very kind of you. And uh, it's The unusual. whole email was great. The email was, yeah. I guess you had very long, very detailed, but it was great. I mean, it's very unusual for uh, these two balding middle-aged guys to hear from someone in their youth who's enjoying comics and enjoy hearing us ramble. So thank you. I'm not even going to call myself balding anymore. That, that, that battle's been lost. You take off the ING, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fine. Uh, what happened to your whole, by choice, man? No, 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 by no, choice, no, 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 I'm saying, all right, never mind. Lucy and, <laughs> Lucy and Desar, right? <laughs> we hate each other so much. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, dear Rob and Jag, we know Rob has talked about a shot at Legendary Mountain Comics, but I wonder if either of you have any mountain comics you have been reading this past summer. Every summer, my wife and I go to the beach on weekends, and I always bring a DC Showcase book to read. I wonder if he gets sand kicked in his face. They are relatively cheap. <laughs> the pages don't glare in the sun. There are a lot of them, and if they get wet or sand on them, it's not a big deal. This summer's Mountain Comics for me was the volume one of Sea Devils, and it blended well with the background sounds of waves cresting on the shore. I love that immersive experience. Great shows as always. I don't know if you hear it enough. No. But your shows are highly entertaining. I know it's a lot of work to create a show like that, and I wanted you to know I'm very appreciative of it. Watching out for the sharks off the shores of New York. I wonder if they float in buckets. I don't know. It's a lot of crazy stuff in New York. Um, I bet I read – I didn't get to go to the beach that much uh, – not to get too into the details of it, but uh, unfortunately, Donald Tracy was very sick a lot of this year, and so a lot of our vacation days got used up with that. But we did get to go to the shore a couple days, and I brought the Blackhawks. That's when I – those are the comics I read. And like you mentioned, Lucien, those, those, those Evanier Spiegel comics are old and beat up, so it doesn't matter if they get a little weather beaten. So that's – we had – the last time we went down – to Ocean City, uh, I brought like the first twelve Evander Spiegel Blackhawk comics, and that was a lot of fun just to sit and read those. So that that's my experience of that. Awesome. I, I didn't get a lot of vacation this summer either because I was traveling so much. But you know, on planes and and whenever else in hotel rooms, whatever, I did spend a lot of time sort of uh, reliving my youth, reading stuff. So I read some of the, uh, I reread a bunch of issues of Spider Man twenty ninety nine. And I reread a bunch of Alpha Flight. So those are probably the closest I could put to, you know, mountain comics type of stuff. I also read, now this was for the first time, but it's old stuff and it warms my heart. I read the Alex Toth Zorro collection. Ah, um, yes. Enjoyed the hell out of that. So that was great. Um, 
Heard from our buddy Jimmy McGlinchey. He says, enjoying all the podcasts, especially Who's Who, the review shows, and Zany Haney. By the way, any, um, by the way, have any of you read his stories in The Unknown Soldier? I recently read the two showcase collections, and the Haney stories were enjoyable indeed. Oh, that's nice to hear. I haven't read those. Have you, Rob? No, I haven't read too much Unknown Soldier. Well, I mean, we talked about it before how Haney had written some serious comics before. And, oh, yeah, uh, no, he's written, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah so sure. that'd be a lot of fun. Now, he went on to ask us, because um, he's over in, I don't know, was it Siberia? Where is he? Um, he's somewhere <laughs> in another part of the world. And there are some collections that have been released, and he's asking us for, uh, uh, he listed this huge list of collections, and if there's any we would recommend. So I just picked out a few that I thought that might be worth picking up. So here, here's some of the ones for you, uh, Jimmy McGlinchey, that I would suggest for you to pick up while you're in Siberia. Uh, JLA Tower of Babel by Mark Wade. That's a very good collection. Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Um, a lot of people aren't a big fan of this. It's, it's more like uh, that popcorn summer blockbuster for Superman and Batman. It's fun, though. It's fun. So I think it's worth getting. JLA Year One, which is split across two volumes. That is awesome. I absolutely love JLA Year One. If I remember right, there's Mark Wade and Barry Kitson, I think. Um, there's, yeah. there's a theme going here with a lot of Mark Wade, by the way. Uh, Flash, Born to Run with Wally, Way, uh, with Wally West, his year one by Mark Wade. Definitely worth picking up. DC, The New Frontier, another great one to pick yes. up. Uh, Superman of Steel, the John Byrne collection, very good. By the way, there's a whole bunch of ones I'm skipping that I'm not reading, so it sounds like I'm just saying yes to everything. That's because I'm skipping the ones I'm not uh, recommending. Uh, let's see, Batman Arkham Asylum by Grant Morrison and Dave McKean. That's some heavy reading, but it's good. It's really deep. Batman Year One. I'm sorry. Uh, Robin. Robin Year One by Chuck Dixon. Awesome read. Definitely get that. New Teen Titans, The Judas Contract, Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Big thumbs up. JLA The Nail. Love that That's, story. Yeah, it's an Alan Davis. It's an Elseworlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the idea there is if there was a nail that popped the, the tire in the uh, Kent's truck and they, didn't, they weren't there to see Sp- uh, Clark's ship come down. What, how different would it be if, but for a nail? Then Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters by Mike Rowell. Oh, I love that. That made me fall in love with Green Arrow. Crisis on Infinite Earths. I think I've heard of that one. Might be worth checking out. Um, seriously, get that, dude. Really. Uh, Batgirl Year One, another great one. Big thumbs up. Green Arrow Quiver. I'm a fan of this. Not the whole world is. Uh, this was um, Brad Meltzer right before he did Identity Crisis. I dug it. I enjoy the heck out of it. So I think it's fun to check out. Flash, The Return of Barry Allen, another Mark Wade one, definitely worth getting. Sinestro Core War, which is probably the most recent one on the list, is really a good read. Um, split across two volumes, very good. And then the last one I was going to pick, uh, Green Lantern slash Green Arrow. I guess it depends on what's collected. More than likely, that's the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams stuff. And if that is, in, ca- in fact, the case, then yes, I would recommend you pick those up. Whew. Well, those are just some good suggestions, trying to help our buddy in Siberia. Yeah. I uh, heard from my, my, my little buddy, uh, David Gutierrez, and uh, we had asked previously, what are some episodes you'd like to hear us do? Because like, we talked about, we, we always do Who's Who, we always do a review episode, but there's other weeks in between. What's some stuff you guys want to hear? So he, uh, he gave us a bunch of suggestions. Most of them involved him. I don't know what that was about or some sort of marital proposal to Rob. But anyway, some of the ones I kind of liked that he suggested was Second Chance Books, something that didn't tickle your fancy the first time around, um, but after you gave it a second shot, it did. That's a good idea. Uh, favorite arcs of story arcs was a good one. And then uh, favorite canceled series that are never coming back. So like maybe the Ultraverse. But. He also mentioned favorite or worst comic gimmick. <laughs> of which that there are many. Like yes, quite a bit. Chromium. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, Lucien Dessar again. He says, may I make the suggestion to cover the Aquaman 1986 four-issue miniseries, also known as the Blue Camo Suit. 
I thought the writing was well done, and it was a unique perspective for the character's legacy. I must confess, I read the series a year ago after the Scribblenauts game allowed you to play Blue Camo Arthur. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love to cover that. I love that series. I think I still think that is one of the best Aquaman stories ever done. And so, yeah, that would be fun to cover. I'm up for it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Mike Gillis wrote in. He says, life is too short. Uh, regarding us covering that issue of Aquaman that we were, that I was really unhappy with. He says, life is too short to be unhappy on purpose. Instead of dragging your feet through a creative run you really don't like, why not just join Shag in recapping classic Aquaman comics you love? Don't do something only out of a sense of obligation or completionism. The worst thing you can do is to allow to turn any part of the show into a chore. You can't say you didn't try. I... I there, yeah, I, I completely agree, Mike, but at the same time, I just feel like I like keeping one foot in the current universe and not just being talking about older stuff. I mean, Shag covers Firestorm classic because there's no current Firestorm. If there was a current Firestorm, he would be covering that instead. That's actually what started the show. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, so I, I really don't want the show, or at least my half of it, to just be let's look back. But at the same time... You know, this this last one is really tough going, and now we know what's going on with the book. That basically, it's going to just be treading water, no pun intended, until the new t- until the new creative team takes over. Um, by the way, we should mention we haven't mentioned at this point that uh, the news did break that in some form, Jeff Johns, uh, Ivan Reese, and Joe Prado are coming back to Aquaman. <laughs> Pretty damn exciting news. Um, but yeah, I, I have to I, – I honestly think I'm probably never going to do that. I think I'm really going to want to still cover – as long as there's a new Aquaman comic to cover, I think I'm going to want to cover it. So I, there might be some times where, you know, it just won't be terribly enthusiastic and we'll, we'll – and, and I like the balance of what we did the last show is because I, I got over that review really quickly. Like we spent, I think, 15 minutes on Aquaman at most and then the rest of it was on Firestorm, which we both enjoyed a lot more. So I think on a month like that, that's the way to handle it. Well, honestly, the Firestorm reviews are probably going to go on hiatus for about six months. Um, when the new Firestorm miniseries starts next year by Jerry oh, Conway. right, 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 right. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably cover that. And then yeah. the classic stuff will come back. Yep. So, yeah. Um, last comment here, I think, right? Yeah, last one? Yeah, okay. We're done. Uh, comes- oh, my God, we're done. <laughs> by our buddy Gene Hendricks, who runs the Hammer Strikes, the Quantum Cast, the Comic Book Fight Club. The two, he's all over Two True Freaks. Uh, he's been on Fire and Water. He's been everywhere. Um, he says, on your last episode, you asked about topics that we, the listeners, would like you here to talk, talk about. You also talked about the free pullouts. So here's my topic suggestion. What kind of what gimmicks, there we go again, do you love and hate? Pullouts, crossovers, trading cards, bagged issues. Oh, I friggin' hate bagged issues. Um, what could you not resist and what gave you the conniption when you saw it? Inquiring minds want to know. I think we need to do something on gimmicks. That's probably a good idea. So, folks, uh, again, this was just the feedback from the blog and from the emails. <laughs> uh, and you see we're on our, what, does that say 15? Our 15, I think? Is something like that. Wow. We've raised over $10 million from mustard good dystrophy. So <laughs> Speaking of raised money, uh, we mentioned David Sopko at the top of the show. Um, check out our Facebook pages. Uh, there is a, a GoFundMe to help his family pay for expenses, something to think about. Yeah. And I, d- I didn't mention earlier, I should have, um, on my world tour, I actually got to meet David face to face in August in his hometown. And we had breakfast at this little spot, his favorite place. And I got to tell you guys, uh, just a, a happy memory of David. I'd rather end this on a happy note was folks just kept stopping by the table to say hey to him. I can't tell you how many people, seriously, I'm not kidding, how many people came by, said hey, talked about his family, all this stuff. I mean, he was clearly a well loved part of his community and i thought that was fantastic and during our conversation we talked mostly about we didn't talk all that much about comics except he did show me his gorgeous blue devil collection he had had all of them bound together in a hardcover which is just stunning but he uh we talked mostly about kids 
And he was so proud of his kids. I mean, he was beaming with pride over his kids. So what a great guy. Um, you know, he and I, we were, you know, internet friends, if you will, on the path to becoming real friends. And I'm just really honored I got a chance to meet him. So keep him and his, uh, his family in your thoughts, please. And um, we're going to miss you, David. So with that, we're going to go to break. And when we come back on the other side, it's gonna, we're going to sit down with a chat between me and Chris Franklin. So come on back. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team-Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Chuatel Egeo 4. Chuatel Egeo 4. It was just like any other Saturday for Chuatel Egeo 4. Walk into a puppy store and eat an entire pizza. Trekker Talk. A fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Hey folks, Shag here. You're about to spend the next 40 minutes or so hanging out with me and Chris Franklin in the Heroes Realm comic book store. While we were there, we did some general chit-chat, and we spent some time going through some great comic book ads from the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. If you want to follow along, I've created a short link, a URL, that you can go to, and you can start off right where we start off. And that's firestormfan.com slash comic ads. C-O-M-I-C-A-D-S. That will take you over to the Vintage Ad Browser. You'll be on the same page we're on. You can follow along if you want. So, enjoy. Hello, coming to you live from Heroes Realm Comic Shop in Lexington, Kentucky. I am the Irredeemable Shag, and I am sitting here with Chris Franklin, the ugly half of the Supermates podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hello. Chris was nice enough to take some time out to come visit with me on my world tour. Now, unfortunately, Cindy apparently couldn't make it. Thanks, Cindy. Really appreciate that. But if I, if I understand what I'm hearing right, she was afraid to be around me because of my strong masculine presence. She was afraid she might swoon. And um, she really didn't want to see Chris cry. Right. So, again. 
we have young children and she can't leave them, so she didn't want to be tempted by your machismo. I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> it's it's a problem I have to deal with every day. I got to tell you, folks, this is an amazing comic book shop. This mm. is so cool. There's so much stuff here. I, I think I've picked up every toy from the 90s and, and fondled it and thought about buying it and <laughs> had to be strong and put it back. We thought we'd take some time to chat about something near and dear to our hearts. Mm-hmm. Why, don't, why don't you tell the kids at home what we're going to talk about, Chris? Well, I, I do believe that we both have a uh, interest in, in advertising and marketing. Absolutely. And uh, in our in our day jobs. And so we thought that we would talk about comic book ads yes. from the era of our comic joy, the 70s through the 90s. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're using Chris's phone here, so uh, I need to get my bifocals out so I can see these things. I guess the way we'll do this is we're not going to cover like every ad because that no. will take forever. No. So, but we, we thought we'd pick out some ads that we love that we remember quite well. Mm-hmm. Describe them briefly, and then you at home can go. I remember that, or try and find the fast forward button. One of the right. other. <laughs> well, actually, one of these ads is relevant to something you found in the shop. Okay, because we've got a fireside. Uh, it's a Heroes World ad, but it's for the Marvel Fireside books. That's right. And here in the shop, uh, on the shelf, I was able to find. And I hope Carl Benning's listening. The Superhero Women by Stanley. Fireside book, and uh, the retail price is six ninety five. You know, back in the seventies when it came out, and I paid. That's right, six ninety five. Burn. <laughs> Take that, Benning. <laughs> so let's see. This ad has got what? Bring on the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Strength and fitness. Yeah. The Marvel Fun Book. I have one of those Marvel, Marvel Fun, Fun Books. Book, yeah, they're yeah. great. And then what does that say? I think it's a calendar. Oh, okay. Oh, it's it is the Marvel Comics. No memory album. So I guess it's the calendar for that year. Since you're the voice guy, you know you're the rich little of podcasting, <laughs> which Cindy's so proud of, I'm sure. Yeah. Why don't you give us a dramatic reading of the top of the ad there? What's so good about being bad? <laughs> That's what it says up top. <laughs> that was really. It gave me chills, Chris. Uh, I felt chills. So you got the origins of Doctor Doom, Dalet Skull, and the Green Goblin. Interesting. There so. You there were cloth editions. Is that what it says? Yeah, down here in the ad, uh, you could get a cloth edition for ten ninety five or a paper edition for six ninety five. Mm. How cool is that? And so, health, health and fitness is only three ninety five. Ha ha. <laughs> so the cloth edition, what's it? Is it made out of like velour or what? You know, maybe it's, it's uh, like a hardcover or something. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> a like a library edition. I'm sure it is. Yeah, I was reading an article in back issue about collected editions, and mm-hmm. they had a Superman book that came out in the eighties called like I think it's called the Great Superman book, and it's there's a, a edition of that that's in a very strange. Puffy cover edition. Puffy cover. Yeah, it's like it's like a little like, like, like a, a little puffy ba- sticker, like a baby baby book puffy. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, creepy, this creepy, is crazy. Yeah. Just to give you some insight, folks, where we are. I mentioned Heroes Realm uh, in Lexington. The exit I had to get off at. Apparently, I guess is like Chris is home away from home because they, you know, Chris has a fascination with monster movies and things like that. And I kid you not, there is the Transylvania University here. <laughs> so I'm looking around for guys in capes, you know, with pointy teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris is telling me this is actually a prestigious university. Yes. So I, I honestly, I thought it was a joke. I, I thought it was like some sort of gag thing to bring in tourists. Uh, no, no, probably weren't real happy about it when, you know, Dracula came out in 1931 and everybody started this stuff. Right. You know? <laughs> so, so. I, I hear uh, I hear Dr. Mor- Morbius got his B.A. here. So <laughs> Actually, I think it'd be a B.S. Never mind. <laughs> oh. So what's up next? So we have an ad for another Marvel ad. Take your favorite superheroes to school with heavy-duty, wipeable, large book covers that fit. I love that they fit. That's very important to the, to the sales pitch there. Yes, they fit. And, you know, because we don't want, you know, saggy book covers. And you got Spider-Man in his classic crouching pose. You've got Cap and the Hulk, which is cool. But what jumps out at me is you have Power Man. That's true. Very cool. 
I don't remember this ad at all. I don't either. But so, so why don't you pick some that you actually recognize? You're driving this this train. We got another one. 1979 heralds a new year of Marvel greatness, and we've got more Fireside books because you know we just nobody can quit talking about Fireside. Books. That's true. So we've got the Marvel's greatest battles. A pinup book. I don't remember everybody talking about that. Do you remember? No, that? I don't. It looks like a photo of. Is that a photo of Captain America, or it, is that a drawing? I don't know. It's it's probably it's his a, buttocks. It's his Cap's buttocks. Which, if Cindy was here, she'd say, "Oh, Chris Evans' buttocks." All right, <laughs> <laughs> they're going to kick us out. We got the Silver Surfer by the graphic novel by Stan and Jack. The Incredible Hulk, Hulk Calendar, because this is 1979 and the Hulk is huge. And Marvel Mazes, have you got that one? Oh, wow. No, the, the, I'll have her the fun books in this one. I love all these Marvel ads. By the way, did I mention this is a DC podcast? <laughs> I'm a DC guy. I'm okay. Just, I'm just going through it. We'll, we'll see if we can find a DC You're ad. scrolling so slow. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Yes. She has to read all my notes. <laughs> oh, that's right. You do copious notes. You're yes. completely unprepared. Yes. All right, so we've got an ad for Pizzazz. It's this giant Spider-Man thing, a picture of Spider-Man, and he's talking about Pizzazz and the different titles they produce. The thing that strikes me is whenever I think about Pizzazz was the Star Wars comic strip. Mm. That was the first, the very first Star Wars expanded universe stuff. Oh, okay. You had the the Marvel comic, which did the six issues. Yeah. But somewhere in there, Pizzazz came out with further adventures. Oh, I did not know that. Pizzazz comics was, as I I understand it, the first Star Wars expanded universe stuff. So it started the universe that no longer matters anymore. That's true. (laughs) That is true. That is the beginning of the Legends universe. (laughs) Legends. Yes. With quotes marks. Absolutely. So now we're jumping into one of the fabled Saturday morning ads. ABC in 1979 at the top is going to be Super Friends. Bump, 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 bump. Oh, you even got Zan in there. Yeah, Zan's in there pointing at us like, don't make fun of me. (laughs) (laughs) My powers are worth it, man. (laughs) Yep, they got Superman's waving at us. Rob will be happy to know Aquaman's actually in this ad. Oh, that's right, he is. They didn't cut him out. Uh, Superman, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and as you said, Zan. This so you, would, get, you get Plastic Man before Plastic Baby. Yes, yes. And this would have been the world's greatest Super Friends year. So that's the year that you had like the, the Universe of Evil, which is like my absolute favorite Super Friends episode. Then you got the Wizard of Oz one, the yeah. Tolkien one. I was going to say, is this the one that went the Hobbits? The literary, okay. yeah, the yep. literary ones, yeah. So that was, a, that was a good year. It's not even remotely nerdy that you know all this. <laughs> no. So we mentioned Plastic Man. Who is the dog with the... Doghouse for a head. I remember is, him. That uh, is my, uh, Mighty Man and Yuck. Okay. It's a little tiny superhero and a dog that was so ugly when he took his doghouse <laughs> off his head, he scared the criminals that That's they were right. chasing. By the way, for those of you at home who don't know what we're talking about, these, these ads were just a complete staple of the late summer comics or early September comics. Mm-hmm. They would have ads for every Saturday morning cartoon. ABC would run one, NBC would run one, and CBS would run one. Yes. And this is how we found out what the new cartoons were going to be. Right. Uh, and th- and then they do a preview special like the, the night before the Saturday morning. Oh, yeah. Started, yeah. That's right. Yeah. But this is, you know, this was a destination, you know, watching and reading for us because it was very important to know what was coming next. Yes. You had Spider Woman that year. That was the one season that ABC ran Spider Woman as a cartoon. I've never seen it. The only thing I remember about it is Spider Man was on there one time and he had yellow eyes. So help me God, yellow eyes. But he actually did. He had yellow eyes, which weirded me out. I'm like, why does Spider-Man have yellow eyes? I can see why that would bother you. Yeah, it just it, it, it ate through me. You still have nightmares? I still do. Okay. So why does Spider-Man have yellow All right. eyes? So speaking of the Super Friends, you were flummoxed by something in the in the area of in in my region here. Oh my god! <laughs> here's the beast of it. I didn't see it. Uh, someone else posted this on Facebook, and because you know I spend too much time on there when I'm traveling anyway. 
It is the light, the living representation of the Hall of Justice in Cincinnati. Yes, it is. It is the uh, Natural History Museum there. It was the Union Terminal mm-hmm. building, uh, which, of course, all the trains came through. And it actually, that's what they based the Hall of Justice off of. That's what the okay, Is that a fact? That is a fact. From the Franklin household of no, information? No, I have read that elsewhere. That is what it is based okay. on. It did is, you read it on a bathroom wall? No, I did not. Did you read it in your own diary? I read it somewhere. I don't. It might have been in that. No, it wasn't in the tabloid book, but I did read it in a DC history book somewhere. Okay. So it's it's a fact. It's based on it. And it, and, and another nerdy fact, it actually shows up in uh, the much maligned Batman Forever. Not as much maligned as, as Batman, Batman and Robin, Robin, but it's the Hippodrome place where the Graysons uh, okay. die in the circus. So this is the... You can Google this, folks. It's Cincinnati History of... Natural History I'm sorry. Museum. Yeah, Museum of History and... Nat- yeah. Yeah, that thing. Natural History Museum. Yes. Yeah. I didn't believe it when I saw it post. I thought it was a Photoshop. <laughs> it was so much like the Hall of Justice. I'm like, nah, no way. And then uh, did the research on it. Oh, my gosh. Well, then someone else in the comments pointed out that at the Oral Roberts University, mm. there's a building yep. that looks identical to the Legion of Doom's headquarters. Yes. <laughs> and it really, really, really does. Yes. yes. Frighteningly so. Yes. Yes. Solomon Grundy walks in and says, Solomon Grundy had to drop a class. Solomon Grundy failed. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, what, two quick stories on the, yes. the Hall of Justice. I, I did not know this building existed to, uh, until I was uh, probably in second grade on a school field trip to the Cincinnati Zoo. My mom, who was aware of that building and aware that the Hall of Justice looked like it, okay. said, I want you to look out the window here in a minute. You're going to see something that's really cool. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, okay. So we cross this bridge, and I look over to the left, and there's the freaking Hall of Justice. Mm. And I lost my mind and said, oh, my God, it's the Hall of Justice. And every kid on that bus ran over to the other side. Sure. And it's a wonder we didn't tip the the bus bus over. Yeah. (laughs) And four children died. That's a great story, Chris. (laughs) One other quick story. Well, hold on. I was going to tell you. I actually – so I found out about this last night. Okay. Once I was in Louisville. Mm -hmm. But I drove – before I even knew it existed, I drove right past it. Oh gosh. Literally, I could, if I just looked out the window, <laughs> I would have seen it. Yeah. I can't believe this. It's over to the right when you're coming. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, one, one other quick story. One time I visited the museum as a museum and they had an exhibit on Kenner Toys. No which way. Which was uh, headquartered in Cincinnati. Unfortunately, when Hasbro bought them, they left Cincinnati. But they had the Superpowers Hall of Justice sitting inside the building. <laughs> The Hall of Justice was inside the Hall of Justice. <laughs> so meta. <laughs> yeah, it was. That is a mind blower. And they knew it too. They, oh, were they like, had to have. Yeah, they yeah. said this was based on our building. You know? That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So there's your proof. It was in a museum and it said that. But so. I'm just trusting Chris Franklin's story. That's <laughs> right. You could have made that up very easily. I make up stuff for the show all the time. So. <laughs> and you got Rob believing it. No, not really. Uh, not typically, no. Not really. Not no. typically, no. No. So what, do we, what ad do we have next? Well, we're back to Marvel again. Of but, course we are. But uh, we thought we've got to dress up Marvel style, and it's got pajamas and Is that Hercules on top? Yes, that is Hercules. They made pajamas with Marvel's version of Hercules, Hercules Prince of Power. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Yes, yes, the, the Prince of Power. Looks like a Jack Kirby drawing, actually, from here. <laughs> so, yeah, and there's a – I think that's actually the shirt – 
that Rob had on in that picture. He well, he's uh, the little kid one. He was the little kid one. It's. It, I think he had like a. Uh, this sounds creepy, but I think it was like a short sleeve one. This looks like a a sweater. And this Captain America. Yeah, Captain America in front of the Declaration of Independence. How funny. Yeah. So yeah. if that was your shirt, Rob, you can you know let us know because I hope you listen to your we'll own show. See, we'll see how much his parents paid for it. Uh, no. um, uh, <laughs> my, my, only five fifty nine. Okay. Yeah. Now this was an era when. Looks like Marvel and DC had started separating their ads. Yeah. But I, I liked the old days where you, you would see Marvel and DC characters together in an ad. Yeah. I always liked that. Yeah, the Mego ads are good for that. The, yep. the Heroes World ads for Mego. A lot of these ads in the 70s were for Heroes World, which was, of course, I think it was based in New Jersey, right? A store, a chain of stores. No idea. They actually had physical stores in the New Jersey area. Okay. And they also did mail order. You could order things. They had catalogs. Every once in a while, you'll find one of their catalogs. It looks like a comic book okay. in a back issue. Issue men. They're really cool. And Interesting. They're, they're usually drawn by the Kubert School. Oh, wow. They were, the Kubert School okay. handled all the artwork on them. That is and, really and cool. And so they, they would like redraw the products that were for sale in there. So they'd redraw. <laughs> so they didn't have photographs. They'd right. draw pictures of Mego figures and Funny. Star Wars figures. And well, it's probably because the line work came out better than a photo. Because anytime right. you see photos reproduced in a comic, they look, like when they used to do those, those ads, uh, you guys remember this one, with all the posters. You'd see like the Farrah Fawcett poster yeah. and, you know, all these, and the Sean Cassidy posters. Right. The reproductions were always terrible. In the right. comics. Yeah. Definitely. By the way, what, what, for the people at home, what website are we using here? This is vintageadbrowser.com. There we go. So if you want, you can follow, you can pick a decade and uh, pick the 70s or 80s. And if you just want to go out there and get a little nostalgic. Yep. Yeah. This is a good one to just flip through, yep. uh, which is why we're using it. <laughs> apparently, apparently very Marvel heavy. heavy yes, it is, apparently. Yeah. We did have an ad for the, uh, the Marvel Treasury editions. Rob would smack us if we didn't mention what's, this. What are these? What's, what's this Treasury edition? I've never heard of these. <laughs> this is a waste of time. It's, Who would buy these anyway? Who buys these? Giant comic books, yeah. It's, it's so it's got it's got a Spider Man. I think it's got some of the early ones. Spider Man, Fantastic Four. I think the first Holiday one, Thor, Conan, Hulk, Doctor Strange. Who got one? Interesting. Uh, another Spider Man, and then the Wizard of Oz, which was actually the first DC Marvel co-production. Was it really? Yeah. Before oh, wow. Before Spider-Man and um, Superman. 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 You, you heard of him, Superman? Yeah, Superman. 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 I was trying to think of the, the Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man. There existed this Wizard of Oz book, and I think it, it had something to do with Marvel. It was like they both had it just so happened that they both had part of the rights or something like that. Marvel had Toto and DC had the Ruby Red Slippers. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Okay. So they, that How was bizarre. Yes. I didn't even know that thing existed. I, I'm, I'm a big Wizard of Oz fan, so I, you know, I should be all up in that. I'm going to do the Interjet. That totally creeped me out as a kid. Interjet Spider-Man? The ad. Oh, it looks the so ad. creepy. <laughs> so Energize, it's called now the amazing Energized Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So what, what is this? Is he? He climbs. I had this. He uh, actually still have one. It doesn't work, but he would, he's a stationary figure because basically Rimco made these and Mego had the license to action figures. Okay. So they had to make them basically statues. All right. But his, he his had, left arms raised. His left arms raised. He's got a string coming out of it and he would climb that string or you could use the string to pull things. And they made the Green Goblin, which okay. is cool. And I actually have the Green Goblin, too. So it was just like the string and like had like a little like a thing little inside of it. That, okay, that, gotcha. That pulled okay. up or, or right. pulled across. Well, yeah. the, the ad, Spider-Man just looks very creepy to me. And as a kid, <laughs> I remember seeing that ad and I was freaked out by it. Looks like a Spider-Mannequin. Yeah. He's, he's very mannequin-like. Yes. And actually ended up making Superman, Batman, and Hulk as well. Oh, okay. Series, which I've had at one point. Of course you did. Of course I did. 
Right, we got to talk about this. This is an incredible looking ad. Yeah. It's, it's for Star Trek. Yeah. It says Adventures of the Fleet. They're comic collector's classics. So they're, I guess maybe the they're gold the gold key. They must be the gold key ones. Yeah. yeah. Don't miss these exciting adventures of Mr. Spock, Captain Kirk, and the rest of the crew from the Starship Enterprise. And it says look for golden books. Were golden book and golden key associated? I think so. Yeah, it was okay. all Western publishing thing. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's four basically trade paperbacks of old Star Trek comics. And the art is really cool. Yeah. You see like the Enterprise is zooming away at you sort of like a cool jaunty angle in into a nebula of some sort, mm-hmm. and they show the four different comic you know, collection covers. These look awesome. 19, like, 1977. Yeah. Kind of looks like the immunity syndrome with the giant space amoeba. Mm. Yeah. So that's cool. very nice. Yeah, that is nice. Of course, that's probably more exciting than the comic art inside. Yeah, Gold Key is a, is a <laughs> uh, acquired taste. Yeah. So then we have an ad, Hulk it for Halloween. <laughs> Swing out as Spider-Man. Camp it up as Captain America. What? It's Captain America supposed to be camp? He's very camp. You know, he's very camp. camp. In, in England, uh, you know, Andy would be like, oh, goodness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is an ad for the old Ben Cooper Halloween costumes. And it's it's cool because it shows the actual Marvel, like the John Romita art of Spidey, Hulk, and Cap. And then in front of them is kind of badly drawn art of kids in, in their Halloween costumes. Well, at least the Spider-Man doesn't say Spider-Man on the mask. No, he doesn't. Right. So it's, it's he's got he's a sleeveless Spider-Man, so he's like a thug. Yeah. And then I like the Hulk one because it's got the Hulk mask, but his shirt is actually has the Hulk's face on it as well. So yes. you actually get two Hulk faces. Mm-hmm. And then Captain America is another sleeve. Apparently they're all sleeveless. So these kids are all thugs. Yeah. Um, the Captain America one looks, what has he got coming off of that? Does that say Cap? Oh, it says Captain America across yeah. his chest. Yeah. So Spider-Man's is apparently the only one that doesn't actually say Spider-Man on it. Well, the thing about the Ben Cooper Spider-Man costume is, is that it has this really hideous, ugly, furry tarantula on it. Oh. If you've ever seen it up close and lots of yellow in it. It's I got, knew that you had yellow. Yeah. yeah. So it's really strange and the Captain America I remember being fairly authentic. I actually took the cost the mask out of that box and wore my underoos shirt and went as Captain America one year. <laughs> Over top of a white uh like sweatshirt. So there we go. That works. <laughs> Oh, those old costumes were great. I, I had I I went as Darth Vader one year. Oh, I don't know if it was a Ben Cooper, but it was that same kind of concept. It's like a plastic poncho. Yeah, basically, because yeah, they're not they're not actually clothes. They're pon- like plastic right. ponchos. Yeah, and then the that the mask and everything like that. Yeah, I had that. Yeah, I had that one too. Oh, Superman, a collection of records and books. And this would be from I think 1978 when the movie came out. I don't see the date on it, but are these those crappy Power Records? Is that what these are? Oh, dude, why nobody <laughs> likes Power Records? <laughs> Somebody's got a show about it, but nobody listens to it. Those guys who host it are total clowns. (laughs) I just censored myself. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) You left out a word in front of clowns. I did. Uh, So we got the Great Superman book, which was the the Encyclopedia of Comic Book Heroes edition of Super, with Superman okay. by Michael Fleischer. I actually have one of those. It's cool. Superman from the 30s to the 70s. The Superman number one uh, famous covers, or no, what it's called, famous first editions, treasuries. Oh, for God's sakes, get to the interesting one. You're killing me here. You what, what's the interesting one? Keep going and I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> the Superman, the movie... What is that? This this is it right here. The power record. The Superman action power record. It's got three Superman action store whatever is I can't read it. But it's got the Lex Luthor story mm. where he spoiler where he poses as the president of the United States and Superman melts his face. I had that as a kid. Oh yes, I had that as a kid. Yes, good good call. Yes, so, that's right. I forgot about that one, and I have that record, but I haven't listened to it forever. So sorry. So I fall down on my power record job. I'm, I've been fired. We, well, we got to talk about that because, like, I want to do that one with Rob, but he's afraid you're going to get your feelings hurt and cry <laughs> or something. So <laughs> why can't we all do it together? Because I don't like talking to you. <laughs> it's bad enough. I got to talk to. I got to talk to both of you. 
Oh, <laughs> ruin my day. I'll take the. I'll take a break on that one. If 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 if, if you and Rob need you your, can be on, your alone time. Or no, something. It, it'll give you a chance to reconcile with Cindy after she meets me. <laughs> there you go. There's a lot of subscription ads. Oh, we got to talk about this next one. Here we go. Yes, for the for the juice mobiles. <laughs> That's right. Here, I'm going to read it. Hang loose. It's the juice. And it's got this football player, right? And he's got some cool shoes on and he's running. He says, hey, kids, this is, wait for it, O.J. Simpson coming at you with multi-purpose shoes, juice mobiles. Yeah, no kidding. Seriously, this is a, a, a five-panel, six-panel comic strip mm-hmm. with O.J. Simpson <laughs> trying to convince you to buy shoes. Now, if it was gloves, that would be even better. <laughs> And this is not the only O.J. Simpson comic ad. The one I was uh, looking for was one where he sells dingo boots. Yes. And I remember that. I remember the dingo boot O.J. Simpson ad being like in every comic I read growing up. Yes, definitely. Yeah, they were they were omnipresent for sure. Absolutely. In, in comics of the time. That is not a... No, we're was, moving on to the 80s now. the 80s, yeah. A lot of subscription ads. Yeah, a lot of subscription ads. The Marvel ones were always pretty inventive. They'd actually have, you know, like this one's got Thor and his classic Thor pose, but Odin's down in the corner talking to you. The bickering probably. So, yeah, it's... He's banishing his son to subscribe to, you know, like Dazzler or something. <laughs> Heed the words of Odin. <laughs> Fill out the coupon below and enjoy great reading at a great price. Because <laughs> I remember Odin saying that in the Simonson run. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine Anthony Hopkins saying that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, then you got all the little. All the classified. The, the classified ads. There's something. For, it's like a little Pac-Man ghost. Wanted video game players for arcade action. And uh, what's this a new a game? A new, new game and puzzle, puzzle magazine, magazine for you. So they're trying to get you to subscribe to a magazine. Yeah, but it's that, got like a fun ghost on it. Yeah, it looks like a Pac-Man ghost. But remember the Atlas muscles? You know, you could build oh, muscles yeah. in seven days. That, all that. Those are great. Yeah, Monster Blood, which is of course just you know Halloween vampire blood. One of the things in here is there's a, there's a probably quarter page ad called a Mar- uh, what's it called Marvel Supermart? Yes. and it lists a bunch of comic book stores. Mm-hmm. And I used to sit there and stare at this thing and read every single one of these shops and be like, maybe I could go to that shop someday. <laughs> Never mind the fact that I had like two or three comic shops in my hometown. I wanted to go to these shops. Right, right. Yes, yeah, so we got one from, they got California, Florida. Florida, wait, Maryland. where? Yeah, there's one Florida. Uh, oh, that's kind of fuzzy. I can't even read it. No, I can't either. It yeah. probably, it's probably, it won in Largo, Florida. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Road trip. So that's like comic book locator before there was comic book right. locator. <laughs> comic shop locator. Vision, uh, house yeah. ad for Vision and Scarlet Witch, a little banner yeah. ad at the bottom of the page. There's a subscription ad with Namor who didn't even have a book at the time. That's true. Subscribe to my non-existent book. You know, we could do a whole show talking about house ads. But, yeah, we could. But you yeah. remember Mile High used to, oh, do, yeah. used to do a two-page ad mm-hmm. in the center of the comic, and it would be a list of a ton of comics you could buy mm-hmm. and the prices. Yeah. Nobody ever – well, I never ordered from them. But I always use that to like in my mind calculate the value of my collection. Right. You know, and yeah. they were all yellow. You couldn't mistake them for anything, and the black would sort of like get fuzzy because yellow and black don't go well together in that right. print, I guess. Oh, I love those ads. Yeah. I love those, those ads. Those were kind of replaced later by the uh, – what was it? Ameri- was it American Internet? Entertainment with um, the, it's hot. If you hadn't said that, I would have, yeah, because Andy, Andy talks about it, yeah. Yeah. It's something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. something like America. It's got an eagle for the. Oh, yeah. The, so now the, here's a house ad that's near and dear to Shag's heart. Well, it's Swamp Thing. It says, <laughs> the saga continues because you demanded an all new adventures written by Marty Pascal, illustrated by Tom Yeats, and edited by Len Wein. Now a major motion picture for, um, from. Um, what is it? Uh, it's Embassy. Uh, oh, Amco, oh, it's just talking about, the, Embassy. talking about the film company. Okay. So this is for Saga of the Swamp Thing when it started off before Alan Moore came over. Yep. And that's all there is on this page. Yeah, that's it. 
it. And, and, you know, it's kind of, you know, Wes Craven, unfortunately, just passed away yeah. uh, yesterday. And here we are. That's that launch because of that movie that he directed. He directed yeah. the Swamp Thing film. We, but then there's some other ad for some other comic book. I don't think it went anywhere. I think DC canceled it with like, within like a couple of issues. Is that Human Torch or something? Yeah, it looks like him. It's and like, if it wasn't uh, wasn't enough to whet your appetite, get ready for the return of the Fury of Firestorm, the nuclear man. Brand new exploits of DC's, uh, dynamic DC's most popular ahead by Jerry Conway and Pat Broderick. Coming your way monthly. You want him? You got – boy, there's a lot of words in there. <laughs> you want him? You got him. Now what are you going to do with him? What? <laughs> buy, buy him. We need the money. That sounds like a Marvel ad actually. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. First issue is on sale March 4th. So there you go, folks. Get in your – hop in your DeLorean. Go back to March 4th, 1982 yep. and pick up your copy of Fury Firestorm number one, a fresh off the racks. Yes. Still smells like newsprint. Yep. And that's uh, that's a nice – is that the cover of issue number one? That is pretty much Yeah, right. that's pretty much the cover of issue number one. Yep, right. yep. Yep. All the, the, all nice the heads, Pat Roderick. All the headshots. That's very nice. Is that uh, Roden Rodriguez on the inks on that Actually, cover? it's probably Dick Giordano. Oh, okay. Uh, Roden would do the interiors. Right. But Dick Giordano did the cover, uh, inked the covers mostly. Whatever happened to Roden Rodriguez? I really like He went this. back to the Philippines. Oh, okay. I, I inquired about this with a couple of different folks, and they said, as near as anyone can remember, because no yeah. one knows how to reach him, he went back to the Philippines. Now, I have done a lot of Google searching for Roden Rodriguez, and I have found a few. Mm. I sent, emailed one guy. He was kind of young, and I asked him, are you related to? Apparently, it's a fairly common name. Right, right. So, um, but he was, this is a guy named Roden Rodriguez who was in the Philippines, but no, no luck. Oh, man, that's too bad. Because, yeah, I really like this stuff. Yep, bizarre Smurf ads. Yeah, there's a, what is that, Smurf I, vitamins? I don't even care. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, just Smurf vitamins. Yeah. Smurf vitamins. I didn't even know those. They made Smurf everything. This is one of those ads that, oh, co- Batman Converse. Batman Converse? Insane. Yeah. Don't even remember. Don't even remember that. Yeah. Now here's one of the, here's one of these ads that you could tell was totally not legit. Uh, join the GI Jason Club. <laughs> Be a proud American. Join the GI Jason. Oh, is this, Club. is this to like GI Joe and they're trying to get your money? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they were definitely trying to. This probably ran in. I wonder if this ran in Marvel ads of Marvel comics of the time. Or Are something. you blaming Marvel for that? Yeah. I, no, I'm not gonna blame. Well, they and ran it. So. There's a Star Trek Star Trek model ad right beneath that. Oh so yeah, there is. Yeah. Golden State Comics. Cheap comic books. Draw yeah. super characters. Yep. E. Yep. Phillips Company or something that says. This is when comic shops started getting a mail order. You could sell your collection or buy from them. Oh, yeah. Right. You'd mail away for their catalog. They'd send you all that. Yep. Now, there's an ad, uh, subscription ad, Marvel ad with Dr. Dooms. I mean, these Marvel this subscri- is a full-on adventure yeah, here. It's Three-panel like adventure. Yeah, it's a, you know, got the Fantastic Four. You got Willie Lumpkin. They're like, he's watching them through a, like a <laughs> monitor screen. It's like, wow, they really went all out. Like, Willie Lumpkin. Oh, I love this ad. Yeah. So this, the, you guys are being decent. DC fans are probably remember the superpowers ad. Of course. That was in the back, you know, had Superman clocking Brainiac, right? No, Lex Luthor. Was it Lex? Okay. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. I'm thinking of the the other. I'm still thinking of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Right. Praise be his name. Right. Oh, my God. Oh, God, I didn't say praise be his name. Leave the show. You're done. I'm going to finish this up by myself, folks. Anyway, so the equivalent in the Marvel Universe was they had the Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars ad. And it's a full-page ad. It's got Doctor Doom as he looked in the Secret Wars action figures. And he's holding the the, the big square shield with the, the silly lenticular thing. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, talking about – oh, my gosh. What is he saying? I got I have to read this. The, se- the secret decoding shield of Doctor Doom now commands my Doom platoon. Hey, that rhymes. <laughs> by land and sea, by sun and moon, to make the earth a living tomb. Oh my gosh, that is hysterical. <laughs> 
Doctor Doom always talked like that, that'd be even better. I want to hear Andy Leyland say that. That'd no, be, no offense. No, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> and then Spider Man and Cap are in the corner. He's like, "How can we stop them, Captain America?" And Captain America goes, "That's our secret, Spider Man." <laughs> you know the deal with why the name is Secret Wars, right? Like, was it? They 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 got like a a, a marketing firm together who did a focus yes. study, and they found out the, that the young boys respond to the word secret and the word war. Right. And that's where Secret Wars comes from. That's exact. That's the only reason that they named it that. Yes, exactly. So it's a full on ad, and then you get this. Got to like, be by Mike Zach. Probably. Those heads are Mike Zach. Yeah. And then you and then you get a, like a three panel description of how you do the lenticular shields. <laughs> that never really worked really well. They did for me. That, Back off, man. Oh, okay. So you'd stick it in there, and you'd, if you didn't put them in there, just right, they didn't work. Well, sure, but they even gave, gave you little guy. I am tired of you DC people badgering and beating on the Secret Wars figures. They were sweet. They they're, were weird. They're the redheaded stepchild of that's not, that's not fair. That is not fair. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Black Costume Spider-Man Secret Wars action figure was so slick. It is slick. Yeah. I've still got my Kang. So. <laughs> Who doesn't? Right. There's exactly. a Kang like at the Walmart down here. He's a peg warmer. Yep. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, but yeah, they give you three panel uh, instructions on how to on how to do the shield. Yes. Then there's the infamous bubble yum ad behind the candy counter. Choo, choo, choo. Choo, choo, choo. <laughs> this is a 13 panel comic. Yeah. It's like, this is who did this? Like Steve Ditko, Dave Gibbons? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. But it's a little boy and he's trying to buy the gum. But I, it's from 1983. I started buying comics in 1983. Okay. And I think this ad was in every single comic I bought in 1983. It is, this ad is ingrained into my memory. The visual, not the text, but the visuals of it. Mm-hmm. I just, I remember it so clearly. I think that was actually based on a TV commercial. Oh. So that kid looks like the kid in the TV commercial. Could be. Like a cartoon version. It looks like Mike, you know, Mikey. 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 He'll he'll chew anything. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. Earn valuable prizes and cash, too, in the Superheroes Prize Club. So now Marvel's trying to get you to, you know, it's like grit or... I was just thinking it looks like grit, but it's Olympic, not grit. What was that? Olympia or Olympic? Yeah. They had their own yep. superhero trying to get you to shills. I had a friend that actually did some of that stuff. Did he? Yeah, he actually, he actually did get some toys out of it. He had like a like did a knockoff transformer. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I always wanted to buy a camera. I was convinced I was going to get a camera or a cassette player. He was trying to get a bicycle. He didn't, you know, he yeah. didn't sell enough. So this one must be from 89 because it's headquarters of... Headquarters for... The Batman. And it's a picture of Batman from The Cult by Bernie Wrightson. And this is different. Uh, so this is sort of like the Marvel one. It lists a bunch of different comic stores and it's telling you Sacramento, Orange County, San Diego. So this is California right. um, stores to go shopping. I if that was comics. actually in comics or in huh. something else. I don't know. Kool-Aid Man. Kool-Aid Man. They had some ridiculous Kool-Aid Man ads. I thought there were more 90s than 80s, but this is 1980. Well, so. there was a Kool-Aid Man comic I know from the 80s. It's, I think Archie posted. Oh, it was like, oh, it was a giveaway, wasn't it? Yeah, he fights the third or whatever the <laughs> little yellow little yellow electric looking things that rob you of your or make you parched or something I don't know this is this is probably a real blast for people at home listening on an audio medium while we describe yeah. visual ads <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> We're having fun, We're so having fun. tough. Yeah. There's an ad for The Dark Knight by Frank Miller. It actually... Oh, it doesn't say Returns. No. It, well, actually really wasn't called Returns at first, right? The actual series wasn't. It's not? I don't think so. The Dark Knight, it's like each book's different, but overall I think it was called just The Dark Knight in the comic form, and then when they put it out in TPB, it was called... He's Returns. making crap up. I, I'm pretty sure that's... that. I, that seems to be the case. That unfortunately, I didn't get the original issues. I remember not seeing this ad, but the other one DC ran that showed him and Carrie Kelly just like mm-hmm. standing there. And I was like, Mom, we need to order, I need to order this book. She's like, three ninety five for a comic book? That's the one time my mom pulled that stunt on me, and I, I didn't get it. And, you know, of course, if she would saw what came in the mail, she'd probably been like, what are you reading right, this for? Right, exactly, exactly. Well, this is the same woman that wouldn't take him to Star Wars. <laughs> 
I was too young. Okay, so folks at home, Google the original release of Dark Knight. Uh, I'm being held hostage because my phone is recording us. He's driving on his phone, and he's got me handcuffed to the chair. So I can't Google this, but I, I'm pretty sure it was called Dark Knight Returns from the beginning. It puts the lotion but, on its skin or it gets the hose again. Ah! Yeah, the weird thing about this – I'm so disturbed by that. The weird thing about this ad is it's the Frank Miller Batman, but it's painted. Right. It looks looks not, it, it's, it's weird enough that it doesn't look like a Frank Miller thing. It's like the cover of – what is that, issue number three? Or is, so, yeah. Yeah. And it's – That boxing pose kind of like yeah, crushed down. There was a – that looks almost like a photograph. There was – I remember a three – like a 2D – Stand up like a counter stand up of that. Oh yeah, where, that looked painted like that. So that might actually be a, either it's the painted image that they based that off of, or it's a photograph of that hmm. stand up. Okay, well it's very weird in this it's painted kinda, style. Yeah, it's very kind of it's like a odd. It looks 3D. real, but it's not yeah. real because it's Frank Miller proportion. <laughs> right. <laughs> if that man really exists, we were, should all be very afraid. Right. Uh, there's another Marvel Super Mart ad with the black suited Spider Man. I love the black costume Spider Man so much back then. And then there, more subscription ads. This one with with the Stretch Armstrong. No, I'm Mr. sorry. Fantastic. Mr. Fantastic. Comic conventions. Oh, I love this is another it's one of your favorites. Well, this is another subscription ad, but I just it's ingrained in my memory. It's Iron Man flying at you, but it's Christmas themed, celebrating the holidays. So he actually is wearing like a Santa Claus hat and a Santa Claus coat, but they're both made of iron. Yes. But he's carrying a bag of toys, and that just as a kid, I just thought that was hysterical. So it still makes me happy. Hot toys will probably come out with this, you know, because they come out with every freaking iteration That's of Iron true. Man's armors. That's, true. That's right. <laughs> it will cost you three hundred dollars. I think that one was in Iron Man three. I think I remember in the background behind the Hulkbuster armor? Probably yeah. was. Yeah, I'd say so. So, you know what's not in here? What's that? Do you remember those Dungeons & Dragons ads from the 80s? Yes, that were horribly drawn. What? <laughs> okay, hold on. You say that. My favorite was the like one of the early ones, which is pretty poorly drawn. Where they're like, it's the, the green slime of yeah. death or whatever. They're ooze. Yeah. Some of the later ones... The art got a little bit better. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Do you know who drew those? Uh, who, who was it? Bruce Tim. Nope. No. A man by the name of Bill Willingham. Oh, wow. Of Fables. Yeah. When he was an artist, he drew some of those Dungeons and Dragons ads. Very cool. It's crazy. Did not know that. And uh, we were talking earlier. Uh, we're moving into the '90s now, so these are the, what I'm going to talk about is neither. We were talking about earlier the ABC, NBC, CBS ads. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really sad that they don't have more of them in there. I do them too. Yeah. I I actually um, I used to run a website called Once Upon a Geek. It's still out mm-hmm. there. I don't do anything with it anymore. But right. I was actually collecting all those NBC, ABC ads, and I had probably from like I don't know '79 to almost '86 all of them. And I just I love they're such a joy. Yeah. I love trolling through those because the Saturday morning cartoons that was our life. If you go back to the '60s, some of the late '60s when Neil Adams draws them up through the '70s. They did back then too yeah like in the 70s ones i know he drew like the one that had the shazam isis hour and all that okay. stuff yeah so he, he drew those and i think some some of them in the 60s too maybe oh that's cool so yeah so i, I always remember like it got goofy towards the end because you get like gilligan's planet and things like that <laughs> yeah. thundar would show up which would be awesome yeah oh yeah thundar with the yeah it's got so much comic cred steve gerber jack kirby alex toth so yep it's all, it's all good somebody should do something with that that's like come on what's in their comic so we're moving into the 90s here and we're looking at a sky box ad for the early Marvel trading cards. Yes, it's a double page spread. I remember being excited about this. I'm like, because this was like the first time anybody had made comic cards mm-hmm. in forever. We had the, like the Batman movie cards, but yep. that was it. Yeah, oh. from 1991. And so this was the... That was the beginning of the craze. I mean, the non-sports cards exploded because you had the Marvel in 91, mm-hmm. Series 1, you had Marvel in Series 2. Yep. And then within that short period of time, it just snowballed because mm. you got the DC cards. Comic Images was producing yeah. tons of sets. Yeah. As you said, the Batman movie, you know, mm-hmm. had, had the 89 sets. Um, but then every every comic-related movie had sets. Yeah. And I just 
every comic company, you know? I, I remember that it was so weird because Skybox had the DC cards, but uh, Top still had the rights to Batman. Mm-hmm. So they Batman was never in the DC, the early Skybox sets. Even That's like correct. the death of Superman, they replaced Batman in the images. And Nightwing was in it, but they couldn't say that he had been Robin. <laughs> they said he had been part of a dynamic duo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so and if you want to hear more about that, either depending on when this comes out, someday there'll be a conversation between Michael Bailey and I mm. about the first DC set on the on Views from the Long Box. Oh, okay. We recorded it, I think, right after the set came out in 82. <laughs> and uh, Michael, as, as of this recording, has not released the audio yet. His voice hadn't even cracked yet. But. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's hearing this. <laughs> So that, now now we've got it. Now we've got American Entertainment. There it is, American Entertainment. And American Entertainment, it's the, the, the ads that, like you said, the Leylands, Andy and, and Michael covered with the hot. You know, nothing's, everything's on fire in this one, yes, I guess. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's like Wolverine's on fire. He's got like flames behind him. And uh, Spider-Man and this X-Men. Is, this and... is when Marvel's first came out. So it's oh, got yeah. like Marvel's number zero or whatever it is on the cover. Well, that was a really good series. Yeah, that was, definitely. Free Marvel Comics. Mile this is hot. from Mile Hot Comics. This is because this is different. This is not their usual ads. So they ran in the 80s where they list a bunch of comics. Here they have a bunch of pictures, yep. but they've still st- kept the page yellow. Mm-hmm. So they're still fitting in the old style. Yes. D- did I just see an ad for Garfield lasagna? What the hell? It's a milk ad. Oh, okay. So Garfield okay. got milk ad. <laughs> gotcha. From 1998. Okay. So he's got the milk mustache. You know, I've actually got a Superman cardboard display top from when DC did the Got Milk promotion. Mm-hmm. They had a uh, a magazine they put out that was like free if you bought like two gallons of milk or something. <laughs> and I had a ton of those forever because my, my mother-in-law brought them home from a Rite Aid she worked at. Oh, okay. And she brought me the display home. Oh. So I had the display and I finally just the display kind of fell apart, but I still got the top of it. It's got the <laughs> Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise, praise be his name. name. Uh, I did it right that time. And he's flying at you with the milk mustache. Oh, that's awesome. So it's pretty Cool. That's awesome. And now we have Billy Zane with a milk mustache as the Phantom. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't like that movie? You don't need to see moon. Let's just keep going. It's just, I like that movie. Treat Williams is horrible in it, but that's another entertainment or yep, American that, Entertainment. Yeah. Yep. It's a Deadpool ad. Uh, subscribe today, X Men. Oh, there's a Joe Kubert school oh, ad. Here we go. Yep. Yeah, the Joe Kubert. Joe Kubert, Joe Kubert's World of Cartooning. Easy for you to say. I didn't intend it, man. It's smashing new series of correspondence courses on comic books. So you didn't have to go to the actual school now. Yeah. You, did it you could do the correspondence, right. Some of our listeners actually did the course because I've seen their certificates. It, there, there was a whole bunch of Kubert ads in the old days. I mean, they'd be yeah. the ones with the dinosaurs and people swinging and stuff like that. Yeah. There's, there's a long tradition of Kubert ads in comic books. Yep. Yep. And like I said, they did the, the Heroes World ads. So, I mean, they were all over the place. Yep. Marvel holiday gifts. There's a Wolverine statue. There's a Marvel swimsuit pinup. I remember, man, the Marvel swimsuit comic was like a huge magazine. was a huge deal when it came It out. was. It was almost like as big as the Sports Illustrated, but not quite. Maybe not quite as big. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the nerd set. For the nerd set, yeah. Oh, there's Rugrats. Got milk. Now we know we're definitely in the 90s. Overpower card game. There oh, we go. Oh, wow. Yeah. Were you into that? Uh, no. I, I think I had to sell it, though. If I get, No, 1999? No, I guess that was before after me. I was but, after you? No. Not my no. thing. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember when it came out, but I wasn't, I wasn't into it. Oh, now we got... Batman the Animated Series ad, Enter the Superhero World for Rainblow Bubblegum. What the hell is this? Do you get a comic or something? Have your name, birthday. Oh, yes. Actually, oh, this is the, the, the name, your name in the comic thing. Actually, Cindy ordered me this and, 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 and got me one. I mean, this was after, you know, we were, what year is this from? That's got to be 94. You guys we, were together in 94? Yeah. Yeah, we were, we were, we were. She has put up with a lot of crap. Yeah, we were dating. We've been, we've been, uh, we've been together as far as dating and married and everything for almost 25 years. I really question her taste in men. 
Cindy, expand your horizons, darling. <laughs> Not now. Well, as I said, we haven't met yet. So. <laughs> but she got me this with my name in it. They misspelled it. I'm Chiss. The whole thing. <laughs> C-H-I-S. Chiss Franklin. Chiss Franklin. That's through the, awesome. Through the whole thing. Yes. That's great. So it's it's kind of one of those, hmm. She was so upset when that came in. She's like, oh, man. I love That makes it more special. <laughs> you say it makes it more special. It made me cry. Uh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh, God. It's the Angley Hulk. That's got to be from 2000. We've went, went too far. Yeah. Now. Okay. <laughs> Well, folks, I uh, hope you enjoyed this trip down our memory lane. Uh, again, this this audio medium conveying visual pictures, it was fun for us. We had a good time. Again, go out to VintageAdBrowser.com. Now, there's a million, million other sites. Right. In fact, somebody, one of you people at home, should probably start a site collecting all these ads from yes. the 80, like 80s comics ads or something. And just yeah. and I'm not just talking – there's a lot of them out there collecting house ads. Like Rob did a Coming Attractions blog. Yeah. Um, Michael Bailey did a, ha- a DC house ads blog. Yeah. But I'm talking the whole game. But, you know, the classified ads, the cartoon ads, everything. Somebody yeah. get on that. Yeah, come on. Don't do a podcast. Do this. Andy Capellish, we're waiting <laughs> on you, man. So. All right, folks. Well, I'd like to thank my guest, Chiss Franklin, for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Chiss, for spending your afternoon with me. Oh, you're you're very welcome, Jack. It's, it's been a pleasure to be here, you know, at my a usual comic shop with you, just making fun of me and picking on me. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> I'm glad it was, a, it was a pleasure to allow you to be with me. So, <laughs> folks, uh, be sure to listen to Chiss on the Supermates podcast with his lovely wife, Cindy, yes. my future ex-wife. And uh, <laughs> also you can hear him on the Power Records podcast on the Fire and Water podcast network. Yes, when you have better things to do. Right. And Rob Slumming. It, that's so true. <laughs> Am I forgetting anything else? Uh, no, that's it. That's, okay. that's all I do. That's all I have time for. All right. <laughs> Thank you. See ya. All right. My thanks to Chris Frankel for sitting down and tolerating hanging out with me for the entire afternoon and evening. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. And remember, head over to Supermates on Thursday and check out the other half of that conversation where Chris and I sit down and debate whether crisis had merit or not. It's a fun discussion. You need to check that out. So uh, in the meantime, you can find my friend Rob. And really, I think it's become obvious on this episode. He's not even remotely my friend. My coworker. You can check out my coworker Rob over at the AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on the social medias under uh, Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can also find him as Film and Water Pod, which is extremely long and takes forever right, to type. Going to beat that horse till you shorten it. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google, Google Plus, and Pinterest and Tumblr. All under the same handle. Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home our email address and our Tumblr? Uh, Buck Rowlett. It, uh, the uh, Tumblr is <laughs> fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. The email address is firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. And the blog is fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do it. Keep the feedback coming. You guys are – I swear I'm not kidding. You guys are the single – best podcast uh, listening community in the world. You guys are amazing, and I can't tell you how much all the feedback and all the interaction with you guys means to me, um, and to Rob, I suppose. I don't, I don't know. I don't think he really cares, but uh, <laughs> keep those letters and postcards coming, folks. <laughs> Until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Book roulette. Book roulette. <laughs> Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together Stand for truth and justice and see.
sea, on land. In there, Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! Hey, this is David Sapko from Shout at the Devil. Featuring the Blue Devil, one and only podcast featuring Blue Devil. And you're listening to the Fire and Water Podcast. 